To dream the impossible dream. To fight the unbeatable foe. To bear with unbearable sorrow. To run where the brave dare not go. Hello, everyone. How do you do? Hello, folks! Dahlia and Kerfos and Hearthook and Jade and Muffin Man and all of you folks listening over on Discord as well. I'm gonna find out who you are. Here I come. I see Ken Ken. I see Luis. I see Dahlia. Hello, folks! How are y'all doing? I hope everyone is doing quite well, as I always do, but. Man, can I tell y'all what a relief it is to be done with that that um, that catch-up work? I really was thinking like that was going to be no big deal. It was just going to be, you know, a little bit of like extra, some extra work to try and figure out which chapters needed what. But man, y'all, oofa doofa. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it didn't feel bad week to week, but right now I'm just feeling like a big weight off of my shoulders coming back to this and knowing... I am reading things in order. I'm going to be able to have like a continuation. I'm not going to have to worry about like, you know, what, um, I don't know, like uh, bouncing back and forth between different catalogs of voices in my head. It's nice to just come back here and and be on, be on that, that single track grind again. Uh, it's, it's nice. It's nice. It's comfortable. It's pleasant. So uh, I hope y'all are feeling the same way. I hope that y'all are sort of coming into today recognizing like okay we're not gonna be bouncing around between random chapters of stuff anymore we've got one story that we can sit here and follow for a while I'm excited about it and I hope you all are as well uh, Jade says Luis glad you're here and yeah Luis says holy carp my Wi-Fi is working well enough for twitch that is excellent news and uh, yeah Luis I hope your um, I hope your your water's back on I know you said you I, I think you said you had power back on uh, and I know you said that the, the, you called them the hydro folks, which is really funny to me. We would just call them, like, the water or plumbing people. Um, uh, it's just, just a, it's just a U.S. slash Canada thing. But, uh, I'm glad the hydro folks were so, so, sort of on your team, it sounds like. I won't say anything more than that, but I'm, I'm glad they were, I'm glad they were doing their best to help you out. And, uh, hopefully you've got some water. I'm keeping an eye on the channel over there, so if you if you respond over in the Percy Jackson discussion channel, I will uh, I'll check that out. Kerfo says I enjoyed the catch up. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad it wasn't entirely terrible. Hydro is what the power company's called here. Well, there you go, there you go. How are all of my punk ruffians doing this week? You know, we've been in such a rush over the past few weeks. Like, I just want to, like, catch up and see how y'all are doing. What has this last month been for y'all? What have y'all been up to? What have you been doing in your lives? I know this is sort of, like, kicking off uh, potentially the, the school year for some of y'all. Um, we're kind of in that territory. But, like, th y'all, things have been whack since, like, since the beginning of summer. Of Okay, things have been whack here on the channel since the beginning of summer. I obviously recognize Things been whack all over the place for substantially longer than that, but um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to catch up with y'all. Things have been weird. What have you been up to? What what did y'all do with your summer? Um, what did you get up to <laughs> as as we're heading into fall here? It doesn't feel like we're heading into fall. I live in Southern California, and around these parts, um, we have like a we have a season 
that comes between summer and you know what you would traditionally think of summer so like june through august ish between summer and fall called like super summer or hella summer uh and so that is what we are sort of like experiencing right now which is the the uber heat and frankly i think people are getting uber heat all over the place but yeah in southern california we've got this like specific time where when it should be starting to be fall it gets a lot hotter for a, for a little while Jade says, things are very whack at our school. Yeah, I think things are very whack at a lot of schools. Um, uh, I know I know, Mama Cass is fighting the same battles right now. Um, I think uh, the, the whack schoolness is... Well, I mean, it's one of the... Well, no, I can't even say that. I was going to say it's one of the most disappointing parts of the pandemic overall, but boy... Have I just been generally disappointed in in what this pandemic has kind of uncovered in folks? Just a real general sort of blanket disappointment. I gotta say, I don't feel I, I, I've I've. It's been a long time since I I was someone who sort of felt like there was a lot of value in just griping about things, but man, stuff is whack. And to put that maybe a bit more eloquently, I've been amazed to see how little people are willing to work together over the past year and a half, two years. It's a, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me the things that you can convince, the, the things that it's possible to convince people are somehow violating their freedom. <sighs> you chuck that word freedom in there and there's a there are certain types of folks who will just chomp that up and and any if you if you tell them that anything is in violation of that they'll be like well, yeah 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 it is of course it is why would i why would i take a, a free why would i take a free vaccine why would i for my health and those around me are you kidding freedoms though freedoms though ridiculous Jade says, our state took our snow days away and will not shut down, and uh, we are running out of personal days, I assume is where that sentence uh, was headed. Good grief. Whack all over. Yeah, freedom ain't free. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a huge contingency of folks who are just very, they, they, they don't have a, they, they have this, this sort of overdeveloped personal libertarianism while simultaneously having this super overdeveloped external fascism wherein they can do whatever they want and also you have to cater to that you being an airline or a business or a group a social group of some kind like what are we doing folks <laughs> what are we doing where where the the freedom ain't free and it's only for me it's only for me and I don't want to vaccinate but also I do want you to prioritize me when I get just really sick because there's this thing going around that makes people really sick I want you to continue to prioritize me so I'm going to maintain that you don't have the freedom to change that pro that where I'm at in the priority list, but I do have the freedom to sort of step on everybody else's 
business all day long. Wild to me. Absolutely nutty. If you're going to be libertarian, or you're going to be fascist, pick one. You can't have it one on the inside and one on the outside. Goofballs. Any of you who have taken the vaccine and who have, you know, who have accepted the fact that, yeah, we're in kind of unprecedented times here. So I'm going to participate in, in, in like bailing out our sinking ship rather than sitting there saying, mm, those, those buckets are a little rusty. What if I get scratched? I'm not helping. I'm not helping. Those, those buckets are a little rusty. I could get, I could get lockjaw. Are you kidding? There's tetanus on those buckets. I'm not going to bail this thing out. Not a chance. What is that? <laughs> All of you folks who have, who have accepted that there is, there is something that you can do and you have done the thing. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate you all dearly. Dearly. You folks who have gone, especially you folks who are afraid of needles. Especially you folks who are afraid of needles. Can I, can I say that as well? Uh, I, I am, I am just, you're, y'all you, are the people keeping me holding on. <laughs> Good lord. There we go. Alright, folks. Let's get into what we're actually talking about here today. Um, which, which is not necessarily for Sam to go on this rant, but hey, here we are. Uh, the... The thing that we are here today to celebrate, the reason why I've gathered you here today is it's an intervention. Uh, <laughs> this is a safe place. I want you all to know that. Um, but over the past few weeks, you have been some maniacs. Over the past few weeks, um, I've noticed a change in your behavior. You've been listening to random chapters from random books. Uh, across different series in a seemingly random order, um, and I'm worried about you. <laughs> you've been you've been listening to some guy on the internet read you random books in random order over the past few weeks, and not only that, but you've been continuing to like share about the show and check out Patreon and <laughs> and uh, you know like give massive amounts of support so i just want you all to know i'm worried about you i love you very much this is a safe place and i want you to know if if you need to talk i'm here for you all right if you need to talk about whatever's going on with you right now i know the world's crazy but you can't let it get to you like this because this is mania <laughs> jade says dearly beloved we are gathered here today to celebrate the union of literature and punkery. <laughs> I love you punks. I really do. I really do. Deeply and dearly. Y'all, today we are reading three chapters of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Book four, The Battle of the Labyrinth. That's right. We're not trying to read like tw north of 20,000 words this week. We're not trying to do different things from different books. We are just, we are reading... As we read before, way back in the in the, the depths of history, back in those back in those shadowed, hallowed halls of history, um, 
where we would read two or three chapters per week and we would enjoy them in their own right and Sam would have the voices kind of figured out for those sorts of things. We're back to it! How does it feel? We're returning. Mmm. Ah. Mmm. Delicious. Chapters one and two. I battled the cheerleading squad and the underworld sent me a prank? A prank call. There it is. I couldn't read it properly. Uh, Orly Rose says, Thankfully my son's school is taking things very seriously. And they clean a lot. We are careful. He really needs the classroom experience. He tried virtual kindergarten. It was a nightmare. But I'm also so scared. Yeah, I I, I know how you feel. Um, and I think that is the that is the difference is like work on work on getting back by being careful. Don't work on getting back by saying Well, I'm sick of trying. <laughs> and so I'm glad to hear that people are taking it seriously. And clearly you're taking it seriously, Rose. And uh yeah, there's there's going to be an amount of worry. There's gonna be an amount of risk, and I appreciate people who are taking the risks to improve things rather than taking the risks to flaunt how <laughs> flaunt what what they define as freedom and what everyone else defines as abject selfishness. So, thank you. In chapters one and two of this book, we have been <laughs> Jade constant sanitation. <laughs> I like that quite a bit. I feel like that needs to be like a room tone or what's uh, excuse me a room tone, Sam? One more one more again. Try ringtone, A, and B, I feel like that's just sort of a button you should be able to hit in any classroom at any time that just sort of shouts over the intercom system, CONSTANT SANITATION! And uh, at that point, everyone gets up, you grab some cleaning wipes, and you just wipe down anything and anyone near you. <laughs> Alright. Alright, here we go. Now, chapters one and two of this book. We're back with Percy and the gang. Not Talia. Remember, Talia has gone off and joined the the hunters of Artemis. Uh, and so she's off with them, but Percy is kind of back at it doing some of the things that he does, which is A, going to new schools, some of which he plans to attend, some of which he knows he won't be there very long. It seems like this is going to be one of them. Uh, some of them, he, <laughs> some of them, he's just sort of popping in to try and steal some children who might be like him. And he begins at Good High School on East 81st Street. G-O-O-D-E High School. Um, this is actually Paul Blofus's school. This is, this is Percy's mom's boyfriend, right? This is the school where he teaches, and so Percy's new here. This is orientation before the summer, and then come next year, he's going to be actually attending here full-time. Um, and Percy's really nervous. He does not want to get kicked out of this place. And then... And then he sees two things that are big trouble. First, Rachel Elizabeth Dare. She's got this kind of frizzy shock of red hair, and she can see through the mist, and yet she's not a half-blood. She's mortal. This is especially weird, and Percy's not sure how to handle it. Um, he doesn't have time to decide, however, because he sees something even more troubling, which are these cheerleaders, Kelly and... Oh, shoot, what's the other one's name? I don't remember. Not particularly important. Um, as 
as we sort of realize what this cheerleader actually is, which is uh, some sort of like kind of a, a siren or succubus thing, uh, but has like one metal leg and one leg that looks like it might be from like a goat or something. Emposai, uh, servant of Hecate. Uh, they do battle in school. One of them bursts into flames before Percy has a chance to slice it. And, of course, before school even begins, Percy has officially been sort of kicked out of yet another school. But, uh, as as he meets up with uh, Annabeth for this day that they were supposed to spend together, uh, here comes Rachel Elizabeth Dare, um, who pops up and gives her phone number to Percy and says, Hey, you definitely owe me an explanation for what's going on here. Excuse me, monsieur. We gotta talk about this. Um, Annabeth doesn't seem to be doing great, and now that we are as getting into chapter two, now that we are sort of escaping from yet another big school incident, they decide to put off their day and they're heading straight to camp instead. Um, she doesn't seem like she's doing great, and as a matter of fact, it seems like maybe she's not the only one not doing great. She's being a little suspicious. She's not talking about what she's been up to. She doesn't talk about this collaboration she's been doing with Clarice, which is, I mean, any collaboration with Clarice is kind of an oxymoron to begin with, so what can she possibly be up to? Grover also seems to be in some kind of trouble. Um, it seems that he is going to be allowed, although he does now have a girlfriend, Juniper, uh, which is very sweet, um, but he's in trouble. He's going to lose his, um, his searcher's license if he can't come up with the location of Pan, or at least some some concrete news within shoot what is the what is the what is the time frame one week it's one week i knew it was short i couldn't remember if it was like three days or one week but one week grover has otherwise he's going to lose his searcher's license and he's going to have to pick a whole new career that he's you know he's already dedicated his life to this um in addition uh Whatever whatever this discussion is that's happening is sort of like it's not overshadowed, um, but the there there's more strange stuff at camp. Uh, Percy notices that there is a hellhound just hanging out, and as he goes to attack it, we find out there's a new teacher on board, uh, Quintus. I'm, I've been calling sort of wafting between Quintus and Quintus. Uh, because I believe Quintus is probably the, the more correct pronunciation, but it is Q-U-I-N-T-U-S. Quintus. Anyway. At the, toward the end of this chapter, uh, Percy experiences a, a vision. He wants to see what Nico is up to. Uh, Nico, this camper that Percy made a promise to to protect his sister, and Percy did not keep that promise, much as he tried. Um, Nico is at the underworld. He's on he's sort of on the the banks of the river Styx and he's conferring with a ghost. And this ghost seems to be telling him to get revenge. Not good counsel. And that is where we're at. Y'all, I hope you will enjoy today. It's been one week since you looked at me. Thank you, Orly Rose. <laughs>
Thanks for the cue card. Dahlia says, now time out. Why the heck is Grover solely responsible for finding or not finding Pan? He's a child. Well, two things on that front. First of all, he does look like a child, but they, they mature at different rates. But I think the more important thing is... Um, that he has been sort of like, he's been talking a lot about this. He has been expending, they've, they've been sort of making allowances for him that they wouldn't normally make. Uh, because he insists that he has had some sort of contact with Pan. Um, and I think they sort of feel like maybe he's been pulling their leg. Uh, I do get the sense that the Council of Cloven Elders, this is the, the trio of um, satyrs, plus I believe uh, Chiron is an honorary member, I, I think it's possible that they're a pretty prideful group. And so I'm guessing sort of having someone pop in and, you know, it'd be a little bit, a little bit like today, like saying, hey, uh, I found God, like I can prove it. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and, you know, <laughs> I'm going to sort of make y'all help me out with this a bunch and then show have nothing to show for it for six months. Um, but no, Dahlia, you are absolutely right. Absolutely. Still, poor buddy. 100%. Yeah, because, I mean, I think we can trust Grover. We know Grover well enough. You know, we know him better than uh, than the Council of Cloven Elders. We know he wouldn't just goof about something like this. It's too important to him. Um, and so we know that, for whatever reason, Pan did contact him, and now won't do so again. At least hasn't yet. So Why? I have a feeling we're going to find out, if not soon, then perhaps a little later on. Orly Rose says, I am so overtired. This is going to be grandmaster silliness. <laughs> well, you all, I hope that you can sort of, you know, keep your, keep your heads on tight. All right, buckle up. Uh, helmets on, please. This is a sidecar, and as we know, these wheels could come off at any moment. They are known to do so. Y'all, I gotta tell you, it's real nice to be back in, like, a normal pattern. The normal pattern of not being able to shut off that thing. Tuna's in! Tuna! Tuna, bud, it's been a while. Oh, speaking of, I guess while well, I have you here, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna text you later tonight. But hey, let's. Uh, you want to play some games next week? After Tuesday, after uh, after Vintage, let's figure something out. I, I I feel like you got your your setup ready to go by now, huh? You ready to jump? Ready to jump, tuna? We'll figure it out. Okay, here we go. Chapter three, we play tag with scorpions. Oh, I've got a whole thing for this. Don't I? What the heck? Hmm, guess not. Chapter three. We play tag with scorpions. The next morning, there was a lot of excitement at breakfast. Apparently, around three in the morning, an Ethiopian dracon had been spotted at the borders of the camp. I was so exhausted, I slept right through the noise. The magical boundaries had kept the monster out, but it prowled the hills, 
looking for weak spots in our defenses, and it didn't seem anxious to go away until Lee Fletcher from Apollo's cabin led a couple of his siblings in pursuit. After a few dozen arrows lodged in the chinks of the dragon's armor, it got the message and withdrew. It's still out there, Lee warned us during announcements. Twenty arrows in its hide, and we just made it mad. The thing was thirty feet long and bright green. It, it's, it's eyes, he shuddered. You did well, Lee, said Chiron, patting him on the shoulder. Everyone will stay alert, but stay calm. This has happened before. Aye, Quintus said from the head table, and it will happen again, more and more frequently. The campers murmured amongst themselves. Everyone knew the rumors. Luke and his army of monsters were planning an invasion of the camp. Most of us expected it to happen this summer, but no one knew how or when. It didn't help that our attendance was down. We only had about 80 campers. Three years ago, when I'd started, there had been more than a hundred. Some had died. Some had joined Luke. Some had just disappeared. And this is a good reason for the new war games, Quintus continued, a glint in his eyes. We shall see how well you'll do with all of that tonight. Yes, Chiron said. Well, enough announcements. Let us bless this meal and eat. He raised his goblet. To the gods! We all raised our glasses and repeated the blessing. Tyson and I took our plates to the bronze brazier and scraped a portion of our food into the flames. I hoped the gods liked raisin toast and fruit loops. Poseidon, I said. Then I whispered, Help me with Nico and Luke and Grover's problem. There was only so much to worry about that I could... There was so much to worry about, I could have stood there all morning, but I headed back to the table. Once everyone was eating, Chiron and Grover came over to visit. Grover was bleary-eyed. His shirt was inside out. He slid his plate onto the table and slumped down next to me. Tyson shifted uncomfortably. Um, uh, I will go, mm, mm, polish my fish ponies. Hmm. He lumbered off, leaving his half bre He lumbered off, leaving his breakfast half eaten. Chiron tried to smile. He probably wanted to look reassuring, but in centaur form, he towered over me, casting a shadow across the table. Well, Percy, how did you sleep? Uh, fine. I wondered why he asked that. Was it possible he knew something about the weird iris message I'd gotten? I brought Grover over, Chiron said, because I thought that you two might want to discuss matters. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got some iris messages to send. I'll see you later in the day. He gave Grover a meaningful look and then trotted out of the pavilion. What's she talking about? I asked Grover. Grover chewed his eggs. I could tell he was distracted because he bit the tines of his fork and chewed down on those, too. He wants you to convince me, he mumbled. Somebody else slid next to me on the bench. I'll tell you what it's about, she said. The labyrinth. 
It was hard to concentrate on what she was saying because everybody in the dining pavilion was stealing glances at us and whispering. And Annabeth was right next to me. I mean, right next to me. You're not supposed to be here, I said. We need to talk, she insisted. But, um, the rules... She knew as well as I did. The campers weren't allowed to switch tables. Satyrs were different. They weren't really demigods. But the half-bloods had to sit with their cabins. I wasn't even sure what the punishment was for switching tables. I had never seen it happen. If Mr. D had been here, he probably would have strangled Annabeth with magical grapevines or something, but Mr. D wasn't here. Chiron had already left the pavilion. Quintus looked over and raised an eyebrow, but he didn't say anything. Look, Annabeth said, Grover is in trouble. There's only one way we can figure out how to help him. It's the labyrinth. That's what Clarice and I have been investigating. I shifted my weight trying to think clearly. You mean the maze where they kept the Minotaur back in the old days? Exactly, Annabeth said. So, it's not under the King's Palace in Crete anymore, I guessed. The labyrinth is under some building in America. See, it only took me a few years to figure things out. I knew that important places moved around with Western civilization, like Mount Olympus being over the Empire State Building. The underworld entrance being in Los Angeles. I was pretty proud of myself. Annabeth rolled her eyes. Under a building? Please, Percy, the labyrinth is huge. It wouldn't fit under a single city, much less a single building. I thought about my dream of Nico at the River Styx. So, is the labyrinth part of the underworld? No, Annabeth frowned. Well, there may be passages from the labyrinth down into the underworld, I'm not sure. But the underworld is way, way down. The labyrinth is right underneath the surface of the mortal world. Kind of like a second skin. It's been growing for thousands of years, lacing its way through western cities underneath and connecting everything together underground. You can get anywhere through the labyrinth. If you don't get lost, Grover muttered, and die a horrible death. Grover, there has to be a way, Annabeth said. I got the feeling they'd had this conversation before. Clarice lived. Barely, Grover said. And the other guy? He was driven insane. He didn't die. Oh, joy, Grover's lower lip quivered. That makes me feel much better. Whoa, 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 I said. Back up. What's this about Clarice and a crazy guy? Annabeth looked around toward the Ares table. Clarice was watching us like she knew what we were talking about, but then she fixed her eyes on her breakfast plate. Last year, Annabeth said, lowering her voice, Clarice went on a mission for Chiron. Yeah, I remember, I said. It was secret. Annabeth nodded. Despite how serious she was acting, I was happy she wasn't mad at me anymore. And I kind of liked the fact that she'd broken the rules to come sit next to me. It was secret, Annabeth agreed, because she found Chris Rodriguez. The guy from the Hermes cabin? I remembered him from two years ago. 
We'd eavesdropped on Chris Rodriguez aboard Luke's ship, the Princess Andromeda. Chris was one of the half-bloods who had abandoned camp and joined the Titan army. Yeah, Annabeth said. Last summer, he just appeared in Phoenix, Arizona, near Clarice's mom's house. What do you mean he just appeared? He was wandering around the desert in 120 degrees, in full Greek armor, babbling about string. String, I said. He's been driven completely insane. Clarice brought him back to her mom's house so that the mortals wouldn't institutionalize him. She tried to nurse him back to health. Chiron came out and interviewed him, but it wasn't much good. The only thing they got out of him, Luke's men have been exploring the labyrinth. I shivered, though I wasn't sure exactly why. Poor Chris. He hadn't been a bad guy. What could have driven him mad? I looked at Grover, who was chewing up the rest of his fork. Okay, I asked. Why would I explore in the labyrinth? We weren't sure, Annabeth said. That's why Clarice went on a scouting mission. Chiron kept things hushed up because he didn't want anyone panicking. He got me involved because... Well, the labyrinth has always been one of my favorite subjects. The architecture involved... Her expression turned a little dreamy. The builder, Daedalus, was a genius. But the point is, the labyrinth has entrances everywhere. If Luke could figure out how to navigate it, he could move his army around with incredible speed. Except it's a maze, right? Full of horrible traps... Grover agreed. Dead ends, illusions, psychotic goat-killing monsters. But not if you had Ariadne's string, Annabeth said. In the old days, Ariadne's string guided Theseus out of the maze. It was a navigation instrument of some kind, invented by Daedalus. And Chris Rodriguez was mumbling about string. So Luke is trying to find Ariadne's string, I said. Why? What's he planning? Annabeth shook her head. I don't know. I thought maybe he wanted to invade camp through the maze, but that doesn't make any sense. The closest entrances Clarice found were in Manhattan, which wouldn't help Luke get past our borders. Clarice explored a little way into the tunnels, but it... It was very dangerous. She had some close calls. I researched everything I could find about Daedalus, and I'm afraid it didn't help much. I don't understand exactly what Luke's planning, but I know this. The labyrinth might be the key to Grover's problem. I blinked. You think Pan is underground? It would explain why he's always been so impossible to find. Grover shuddered. Satyrs hate going underground. No searcher would ever try going to that place. No flowers, no sunshine, no coffee shops. But, Annabeth said, the labyrinth can lead you almost anywhere. It reads your thoughts. It was designed to fool you, trick you, and kill you. But if you can make the labyrinth work for you, it could lead you to the wild god, I said. I can't do it, Grover hugged his stomach. Just 
thinking about it makes me want to throw up on my silverware. Oh, excuse me. Just thinking about it makes me want to throw up my silverware. Grover, it may be your last chance, Annabeth said. The council is serious. One week, or you learn to tap dance. Over at the head table, Kintus cleared his throat. I got the feeling he didn't want to make a scene, but Annabeth was really pushing it, sitting at my table so long. We'll talk later. Annabeth squeezed my arm a little too hard. Convince him, will you? She returned to the Athena table, ignoring all of the people who were staring at her. Grover buried his head in his hands. I can't do it, Percy. My such a license. Pan, I'm going to lose it all. I'm going to have to start a puppet theater. Hey, don't say that. We're, we're going to figure something out. He looked at me teary-eyed. Percy, you're my best friend. You've seen me underground in that cyclops cave. Do you really think that I could... <sighs> His voice faltered. I remembered the Sea of Monsters when he'd been stuck in a Cyclops cave. He'd never liked underground places to begin with, but now Grover really hated them. Cyclops gave him the creeps, too. Even Tyson. Grover tried to hide it, but Grover and I could sort of read each other's emotions because of this empathy link between us. I knew how he felt. Grover was terrified of the big guy. I have to leave, Grover said miserably. Juniper is waiting for me. It's a good thing she finds cowards attractive. No. After he was gone, I looked over at Kintus. He nodded gravely, like we were sharing some dark secret. Then he went back to cutting his sausage with a dagger. In the afternoon, I went down to the Pegasus stables to visit my friend Blackjack. Yo, boss! He capered around the stall, his black wings buffeting the air. You bring me some sugar cubes! You know, these aren't good for you, Blackjack. Yeah, so you brought me some, huh? I smiled and fed him a handful. Blackjack and I went back a long way. Blackjack and I went back a long way. I sort of helped rescue him from Luke's demon cruise ship a few years ago, and ever since, he insisted on repaying me with favors. So, you, uh, you got any quests coming up? Blackjack asked. I'm ready to fly, boss! I patted his nose. I'm not sure, man. Everybody keeps talking about underground mazes. Blackjack whinnied nervously. Nope, nuh-uh, not for this horse. You ain't gonna be crazy enough to go down into no maze, are you, boss? You'll end up in the glue factory. Yeah, you may be right, Blackjack. We'll see. Blackjack crunched down in his sugar cubes. He shook his mane like he was having a sugar seizure. Whoa, good stuff! Uh, well, boss, you, you come to your senses and you want to fly somewhere, you just give me a whistle. Oh, Blackjack and his buddies will stampede anybody for you. I told him I'd keep it in mind. Then a group of younger campers came into the stables and started their riding lessons, and I decided it was time to leave. 
I had a bad feeling I wasn't going to see Blackjack for a long time. That night after dinner, Kintus had us suit up in our combat armor, like we were getting ready for Capture the Flag, but the mood among the campers was a lot more serious. Sometime during the day, the crates in the arena had disappeared, and I had a feeling whatever was in them had been emptied into the woods. All right, Kintus said, standing at the head dining table. Gather around. He was dressed in black armor. He was dressed in black leather and bronze. In the torchlight, his gray hair made him look like a ghost. Mrs. O'Leary bounded happily around him, forging for dinner scraps. You will be in themes off too, Quintus announced. When everybody started talking and trying to grab their friends, he yelled, Which have already been decided. Aww, everybody complained. Your goal is simple. Collect the gold laurels without dying. The wreath is wrapped in a silk package tied to the back of one of the monsters. There are six monsters. Each has a silk package. Only one holds the laurels. You must find the wreath before the other teams, and of course, you'll have to slay the monster to get it. And stay alive. The crowd started murmuring excitedly. The task sounded pretty straightforward. Hey, we'd all slain monsters before. That's what we were training for. I will now announce your partners, Quintus said. There will be no trading, no switching, no complaining. <laughs> said Mrs. O'Leary, burying her face in a plate of pizza. Quintus produced a big scroll and started reading off names. Beckendorf would be with Selena Beauregard, which Beckendorf looked pretty happy about. The Stoll brothers, Travis and Connor, would be together. No surprise, they did everything together. Clarice was with Lee Fletcher from the Apollo cabin. Melee, ranged combat combined, they'd be a tough combo to beat. Quintus kept rattling off names until he said, Percy Jackson with Annabeth Chase. Nice, I grinned at Annabeth. Your armor's crooked, was her only comment, and she redid my straps for me. Grover Underwood. Quintus said, with Tyson. Grover just about jumped out of his goat fur. W -w -w what? B but, but... No, 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 Tyson whimpered. Mm. Mm. Must be a mistake. Mm. Goat boy. Mm. No complaining, Quintus ordered. Get with your partner. You have got two minutes to prepare. Tyson and Grover both looked at me pleadingly. I tried to give them an encouraging nod and gestured that they would... I tried to give them an encouraging nod and gestured that they should move together. Tyson sneezed. Grover started chewing nervously on his wooden club. They'll be all right, Annabeth said. Come on, let's worry about how we're going to stay alive. All right, 
Uh, and I want to take a quick pause here, um, because it's probably, we're kind of due for a chatter break anyway, uh, as we are about to get into this, this big, uh, event out here in the woods, but two things first, um, that are coming up in chat here. Uh, first of all, Kerfos, uh, mentioning the Google Doc, we will try to get you a new link, this is my fault, I went in there and did some reorganization, but part of that sort of, like, broke some of the links that we were working with, so, um, I will try to get you one of those, Kerfos, uh, as well, unless somebody else gets to it first. Secondly, uh, a good reminder from Dahlia. Dahlia says, remember to all you punk ruffians, if you notice any suspicious activity or new members being strange, like, go ahead and mention it to the mods. You can always ping somebody, um, and we can handle it. Uh, there's a lot of, like, basically, Twitch is, it's like a big sort of trash pile, um, and Twitch doesn't seem particularly interested in doing anything about it, so it's on us instead. Um uh basically a lot of like a lot of jerks uh moving around and and you know like throwing bigoted stuff into people's chats i'm not going to deal with it uh i would say overall the moment that you like if you if you're starting to get like red flags from people i'm a big fan of we block drama i like we block drama i want that i want that here and everywhere i want you to take that with you into your lives we block drama. Just you don't engage. You don't talk about it to other people unless it's like unless it's something that you are sort of being pursued about. If it's just something that's out there in the world, block it because the the engagement is like what drives the thing. So so there's that just out in the world in general. But specifically here, if if suddenly chat becomes like if I switch it to subs only or all the chat suddenly disappears uh, because I've had to clear it or I go to emote only chat. Um, uh, don't worry about it. I'll you know ping it back on once that once it feels appropriate. But my my aim is to give absolutely not a moment, not an ounce of my cortisol is going to be dedicated to this sort of stuff because that's exactly the aim is just to frustrate people, uh, which once again has been just a, a an interesting discovery over the past four years. Um, so instead, uh, give them nothing. If cortisol is what they're here for, if that is if that is how they feed, uh, let's just be a an absolute desert, and we're gonna starve them, and we're gonna watch their sort of weird troll bodies uh, shrivel and die because there's nothing here for them. Just absolute silence. Uh, the mods will block stuff. Mods and I will block stuff. Um, we will we will block people that we are. Uh, that that are you know violating rules and such. Not an ounce. Don't freak out. Just just ping and say hey. This person's doing some stuff. Don't don't like jump into chat and, and freak out about it. Like, um, excuse me, like, uh, what's going on here? Just just totally ignore it. Like I said, I want I want shriveled troll corpses on the battlefield of uh, of of Twitch. <laughs> no violence, no violence. Just starve them right out. There's nothing here for you. Okay, with all that said. Um, the, the chatter break here, right? We are headed into, once again, another sort of training exercise, but we can see how the books are starting to change. We can see how the exercises are starting to change. We can see how when they're headed off into the woods, you know, a few, a few years ago, a few books ago, Percy is headed off to play capture the flag against some of the other campers. Yeah, it's a training exercise, but keep in mind the ways in which the author is sort of pushing us and showing us things are getting more serious. Now, when they're about to enter the woods 
They're not going in there to capture a flag. They're going in there. They know they're going to have to kill monsters. And this is what they've been training for, but they've been training to do this. Now, this is their training. Does that make sense? You know, you've been you've been training all your life to to climb this mountain, and then all of a sudden, the mountain is just part of your training. You've got to climb the mountain every day to do something else. It sort of it sort of brings some perspective to the fight that is eventually coming, because now all the things that they had been training for before, now that's just more training because they've got bigger and worse things yet to come. So, um, the uh, I think the the overall like. The overall tone that we're hitting, and I think if you're if you're sort of trying to draw this into some bit of uh, literary analysis speak, uh, if you need a heading for this, I would say tone is a great way to put it. Um, and if you're looking for something like a really literal way, uh, a really literal line to sort of examine this, the very first bit of this this last after the last chatter break, that night after dinner, Kintus had us suit up in combat armor like we were getting ready for capture the flag, but the mood among the campers was a lot more serious. Sometime during the day, the crates in the arena had disappeared, and I had a feeling whatever was in them had been emptied into the woods. Right? There's that quote. A lot more serious. And not only that, but uh, let me let me go ahead and reiterate. Uh, hey, we'd all slain monsters before. That's what we trained for. There we go. Right? That's that is that's what they're doing, and uh, I think if I'm going to leave you all with a chatterbreak question as I proceed on into this um, into this this new active training session, um, I would say just my chatterbreak question is: What are the other instances where you've seen things getting bigger and more important? What are the ways in which the tone the the author kind of establishes that tone of things are getting darker, more serious, more important, higher stakes, all that? There's your chatterbreak question. How is the author ratcheting up the tone? Let's jump back in. It was still light when we got into the woods, but the shadows from the trees made it feel like midnight. It was cold, too, even in summer. Annabeth and I found tracks almost immediately, scuttling marks made by something with a lot of legs. We began to follow the trail. We jumped a creek and heard some twigs snapping nearby. We crouched behind a boulder, but it was only the Stoll brothers tripping through the woods and cursing. Their dad was the god of thieves, but they were about as stealthy as buffaloes. Once the Stoles had passed, we forged deeper into the west woods, where the monsters were wilder. We were standing on a ledge, overlooking a marshy pond, when Annabeth tensed. This is where we stopped looking. It took me a second to realize what she meant. Last winter, when we'd given up hope of finding him, Grover, Annabeth, and I had stood on this rock, and I had convinced them not to tell Chiron the truth. That Nico was a son of Hades. At the time, it seemed like the right thing to do. I wanted to protect his identity. I wanted to be the one to find him and make things right for what had happened to his sister. Now, six months later, I hadn't even come close to finding him. It left a bitter taste in my mouth. I... I, I saw him last night, I said. Annabeth knit her eyebrows. What do you mean? 
I told her about the iris message. When I was done, she stared into the shadows of the woods. He's been summoning the dead? That's not good. The ghost was giving him bad advice, I said, telling him to take revenge. Yeah, spirits are never good advisors. They've got their own agendas, old grudges, and they resent the living. He's going to come after me, I said. The spirit mentioned a maze. She nodded. That settles it. We have to figure out the labyrinth. Maybe, I said uncomfortably. But who sent the iris message? If Nico didn't know that I was there, then... A branch snapped in the woods. Dry leaves rustled. Something large was moving in the trees just beyond the ridge. That's not the Stoll brothers, Annabeth whispered. Together, we drew our swords. We got to Zeus's fist, a huge pile of boulders in the middle of the West Woods. It was a natural landmark where campers often rendezvoused on hunting expeditions, but now there was nobody around. Over there, Annabeth whispered. No, wait, I said. Behind us. It was weird. Scuttling noises seemed to be coming from several different directions. We were circling the boulders, our swords drawn, when someone right behind us said, Hi. We whirled around, and the tree nymph Juniper yelped. Put those down, she protested. Uh, Dryads don't like sharp blades, okay? Juniper, Annabeth exhaled. What are you doing here? I live here. I lowered my sword. In the boulders? She pointed toward the edge of the clearing. In the juniper? Duh. It made sense, and I felt kind of stupid. I'd been hanging around dryads for years, but I never really talked to them much. I knew they couldn't go very far away from their tree, which was their source of life, but I didn't know much else. Are you guys busy? Juniper asked. Well, I said, we're in the middle of a game against a bunch of monsters and we're trying not to die. We're not busy, Annabeth said. What's wrong, Juniper? Juniper sniffled. She wiped her silky sleeve under her eyes. It's... it's Grover. He seems so distraught. All year he's been looking for Pan, and every time he comes back it's worse. I I thought maybe at first he was seeing another tree. No, Annabeth said as Juniper started crying. I'm sure that's not it. He had a crush in a blueberry bush once, Juniper said miserably. Juniper... Annabeth said. Grover would never even look at another tree. He's just stressed out about his searcher's license. He can't go underground, she protested. You can't let him. Annabeth looked uncomfortable. It might be the only way to help him. If we just knew where to start. Uh, Annabeth wiped a green tear off her cheek. About that... Another rustle in the woods, and Juniper yelled, Hide! Before I could ask why, she went, Poof! In the green mist. Annabeth and I turned. 
Coming out of the woods was a glistening amber insect. Ten feet long, with jagged pincers, an armored tail, and a stinger as long as my sword. A scorpion. Tied to its back was a red silk package. One of us gets behind it, Annabeth said, as the thing clattered toward us. Cuts off his tail, while the other one distracts it from the front. Cuts off his tail. Ooh, ooh. Interesting. I, don't, I haven't had trouble with a line like this in a little while. Cuts off its tail, while the other one distracts it from the front. I'll take point, I said. You got the invisibility hat. She nodded. We'd fought together so many times, we knew each other's moves. We could do this, easy. But it all went wrong when the other two scorpions appeared from the woods. Three? Annabeth said. That's not possible. The whole woods and half of the monsters come at us? I swallowed. One, we could take. Two, with a little luck. Three, doubtful. The scorpions scurried towards us, whipping their barbed tails like they'd come here just to kill us. Annabeth and I put our backs to the nearest boulder. Climb, I said. No time, she said. She was right. The scorpions were already surrounding us. They were so close I could see their hideous mouths foaming, anticipating an icy... What? Oh. They were so close to us I could see their hideous mouths foaming, anticipating a nice, juicy meal of demigods. Look out! Annabeth parried away a stinger with the flat of her blade. I stabbed with Riptide, but the scorpion backed out of range. We clambered sideways along the boulders, but the scorpions followed us. I slashed at another one, but going on the offensive was too dangerous. If I went for the body, the tail stabbed downward. If I went for the tail, the thing's pincers came up from either side and tried to grab me. All we could do was defend, and we wouldn't be able to keep doing that for very long. I took another step sideways, and suddenly there was nothing behind me. It was a crack between two of the largest boulders, something I'd passed by a million times, but... In here, I said. Annabeth sliced at a scorpion and then looked at me like I was crazy. In there? It's too narrow. I'll cover you! Go! She ducked behind me and started squeezing between the two boulders. Then she yelped and grabbed my armor straps, and suddenly I was tumbling into a pit that hadn't been there a moment before. I could see the scorpions above us, the purple evening sky, and the trees, and then the hole shut like the lens of a camera, and we were in total darkness. Our breathing echoed against stone. It was wet and cold. I was sitting on a bumpy floor that seemed to be made of bricks. I lifted Riptide. The faint glow of the blade was almost enough to illuminate Annabeth's frightened face and the mossy stone walls on either side of us. Where are we? Annabeth said. Oh, safe from scorpions, anyway. I tried to sound calm, but I was freaking out. The crack between the boulders couldn't have led into a cave. I would have known if there had been a cave here. I was sure of it. It was like the ground had opened up and swallowed us. All I could think of was the fissure in the dining room pavilion where all those skeletons had been consumed last summer. I wondered if the same thing had happened to us. I lifted my sword again for light. It's a long room, I muttered. Annabeth gripped my arm. It's not a room. 
It's a corridor. She was right. The darkness felt emptier in front of us. There was a warm breeze like in subway tunnels, only it felt older, more dangerous somehow. I started forward, but Annabeth stopped me. Don't take another step, she warned. We need to find the exit. She sounded really scared now. It's okay, I promised. It's right. And then I looked up, and I realized I couldn't see where we'd fallen in. The ceiling was solid stone. The corridor seemed to stretch endlessly in both directions. Annabeth's hand slipped into mine. Under different circumstances, I would have been embarrassed. But here in the dark, I was glad to know where she was. It was about the only thing I was sure of. Two steps back, she advised. We stepped backward together like we were in a minefield. Okay, she said. Help me examine the walls. What for? The mark of Daedalus, she said, as if that was supposed to make sense. Uh, okay, uh, what kind of... Got it, she said with relief. She set her hand on the wall and pressed against a tiny fissure, which began to glow blue. A Greek symbol appeared. A triangle, the ancient Greek delta. The roof slid open and we saw a night sky, stars blazing. It was a lot darker than it should have been. Metal ladder rungs appeared out of the side of the wall, leading up, and I could hear people yelling our names. Percy! Mmm! Annabeth! Tyson's voice bellowed the loudest, but the others were calling out too. I looked nervously at Annabeth. Then we began to climb. We made our way around the rocks and ran into Clarice and a bunch of other campers carrying torches. Where have you two been? Clarice demanded. We've been looking forever. But we were only gone for a few minutes, I said. Chiron trotted up, followed by Tyson and Grover. Hmm. Percy, Tyson said. You are okay. Hmm. Hmm. Well, fine, I said. We fell in a hole. The others looked at me skeptically, then at Annabeth. Honest, I said. We were... There were three scorpions after us, and, uh... Oh, shoot. Made me lose my page again. Come on, now. Okay, here we go. We're fine, I said. We fell in a hole. The others looked at me skeptically, then at Annabeth. Honest, I said. There were three scorpions after us, so we ran and hid in the rocks, but we were only gone a minute. You've been missing for almost an hour, Chiron said. The game is over. Yeah, Grover muttered. We would have won, but a cyclops sat on me. Mm, it was an accident, mm, Tyson protested, but then he sneezed. Oh. Clarice was wearing the gold laurels, but she didn't even brag about winning them, which wasn't like her. A hole, she said suspiciously. 
Annabeth took a deep breath. She looked around at the other campers. Karen, maybe we should talk about this at the big house. Clarice gasped. You found it, didn't you? Annabeth bit her lip. I... yeah. Yeah, we did. A bunch of campers started asking questions, looking about as confused as I was, but Chiron raised his hand for silence. Tonight is not the right time, and this is not the right place. He stared at the boulders as if he'd just noticed how dangerous they were. All of you, back to your cabins. Get some sleep. A game well played, but curfew is past. There was a lot of mumbling and complaints, but the campers drifted off, talking amongst themselves and giving me suspicious looks. This explains a lot, Clarice said. It explains what Luke is after. Wait a second, I said. What do you mean? What did we find? Annabeth turned toward me, her eyes dark with worry. An entrance to the labyrinth. An invasion route straight into the heart of the camp. And that is the end of our first chapter of the evening. Folks, very exciting. It really, really feels good to be just sort of back in the mix, back in the back in the regular sort of uh, pattern, the, the regular rhythm of things. It feels much better. Oh, it's a big weight off my shoulders. Okay, now, uh, with that said, there is still that other weight on my shoulders, which is that I am doing quite a bit of editing right now. I edited... 10 streams on Tuesday. Uh, I didn't get quite as much done yesterday because I had some recording to do, um, but uh, I'm, I'm getting into book six. Fortunately, I am like very rapidly approaching the, the territory where I started editing week to week. I know I've been saying that, like I was hoping to run up on that a little quicker. I really was, but hey, we're, we're, we're getting close to it. Um, of course, that's not true of some of the other things, but that's not going to affect Harry Potter and Percy Jackson. Um, I have, I've I've changed up my editing scheme here so that I'm really going to be able to edit things much, much more quickly. Um, I, I figured out a, a neat little audio trick, and y'all can ping me on Discord if you've got OBS questions on, on that sort of thing. But, uh, folks, I'm doing it. I am. I, I've, I've sort of like, now that I'm done with uh, editing Harry Potter book five, Order of the Phoenix, that's the longest one. I really feel like I'm sort of over the big hump. And now I think uh, book six is going to take a little while. Maybe I would say if I'm, if I am really, if I've really, really got a lot of time um, next week, uh, I would say we can probably, it, it's possible I will finish it next week. It's going to depend on, on what kind of time I've got. But um, certainly I think within two weeks I can have, uh, book six done, and then book seven I should be in pretty fine shape, uh, and then after that, you know, I think we're good to go. Uh, I'll start to get the vintage stuff online, the earlier ones are gonna, are gonna be pretty slow as well, as they were in the early phases of Harry Potter editing, etc. Um, so... I'm not really worried about it, but uh, I'm going to get all of the flying sidecar stuff edited and posted. That's, I'm talking like through where we're at right now. And then I am going to go back and start with vintage sidecar. And then after that, I'm going to be getting into the um, the side cannons business, which is the tabletop RPG wing of sidecar stories. Whew. It feels good. 
Uh, also, uh, if y'all have been keeping an eye on some of the social media stuff, I have started to post little, little, little uh, teasers, little teasers for Book Fair because Book Fair is coming up. Uh, I want to reiterate to you all, I have. Uh, I have been doing some planning. I've taken some behind-the-scenes stuff and put that together. You can find the behind-the-scenes stuff over on Patreon, um, and you can also find a few updates over there. Uh, no subscription required for the the uh, the, the, the updates. Um, you can see like the answer to some of these teasers because the the big question is what stream that we're doing during book fair is that particular picture sort of uh, depicting. So uh, you can find the answers, like I said, no subscription required over on Patreon. And if you want to find the Patreon page, you can find it right here. Um, it is linktree slash sidecar stories. Of course, patreon.com slash sidecar stories will take you straight there. But this link right here is the one to share around with folks. And it's the one where you can find everything you need to know about sidecar stories, including, of course, hi, my name is Sam. Uh, I stream Tuesdays through Thursdays. You can find the Discord in there. You can find the Patreon page in there. All the stuff you're looking for. Uh, and now, uh, I think it is, A, certainly warm enough. I'm going to need a second here. Let's get that AC back on. Ooh, baby. Because, um, yeah, it is, It is. I mean, y'all, it's real warm here. I'm not going to lie to you. It's real warm. Uh, so, I'll be right back. Uh, I'm going to head... Uh, I'm going to head over and grab a drink, and I think I'm going to wait to do my, to do my, um, to do my break until after the next chapter. I'll do it after chapter four, uh, but I do need to go fill up my water, uh, so I'll be right back. Uh, before I do that, however, I do want to sort of like, let's catch back up with that chatter break question. What are the big moments where y'all are seeing, uh, seeing the, the author here kind of ratchet up the stakes? That's the question. What are we seeing? What are the things that we've seen so that we've been seeing so far, where you can see like, okay, this series is just getting more serious, or seeing the ways in which like uh, Percy is has got more ahead of him that he's going to have to fight against. We can see how uh, the the enemies are sort of growing stronger. How's the author kind of displaying that? How's the author showing that? What are the ways y'all are seeing? And then, of course, as per usual, if you've got any comments or questions, I would love to hear from you. Uh, and I will be doing so in, I would say, like, maybe a minute and a half. Minute and a half, two minutes. Don't time me, because I'm not totally sure. But it's not going to be a full break. I just got to go refill my water. Ooh, y'all hear that outside? Big old screech. I'll be back in just a sec. See ya. back folks hello how do you do yeah indeed dahlia the joys of uh 
the joys of being around these parts. Um, let's see. Now, folks, let's get back into it. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention before we jump in, I'm going to do a, just a quick review of our last chapter. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention before then is... Did anybody have trouble finding the vote for the side karaoke stream? Because I'm going to do it either tomorrow or next Friday. Uh, I think Fridays were kind of the, the, the verdict there is what was going to work the best. But um, just I wanted to make sure that like people had an okay time finding that. Uh, if any of y'all had trouble, please let me know here in chat and I will sort of like... We can talk about it later on. Uh, Dahlia says, did you take the whole five minute break? It didn't seem long enough. No, I'm taking my break after this chapter, after chapter four. So, y'all, uh, let me know in chat there, uh, and I'll sort of address that once I'm done with my review here. Everyone, a spot of review. <laughs> Let's see, uh, chapter three. This is, that was our first chapter for the evening, so if anyone's coming in late, we've only read one of our three chapters so far tonight. Um, chapter three, we play Tag with Scorpions, and in this chapter, um, basically, we, we reveal the, the, big, the big quest of the book, right? Every book kind of has its own quest associated with it, and in this chapter, we discover what the quest is going to be for this book. It's the Labyrinth. Um, now, I, I, I gotta think that there is some sort of, like, Pan's Labyrinth goof happening right now, because uh, it seems like there's some idea of sort of linked, linked possibilities. For a second, it looked like I had a hand tattoo, and I had two thoughts. It looked like I had a, oh, on this, the back of this hand, it looked like I had a, a hand tattoo, and I had two thoughts. First of all, wait a second, what? And also, that looks kind of cool. Um, but, anyway, for a different time, I don't have any tattoos. Anyway. Um... I don't know if that surprises y'all or not. Um, the two big things that, that seem like they are sort of meeting in the middle at this idea of the labyrinth and the possibility that that might be super important coming up here. Um, A, it seems like Luke and possibly some other uh, former campers, basically the army of Kronos, is investigating the labyrinth. Why? It seems like they've got some idea it might hold an invasion route into the camp itself. Now, they don't know how, because the nearest uh, the nearest entrance, the one that Clarice kind of explored for a little bit, is in New York. How's that going to work out? Uh, but secondly, um, it seems that there's some idea that maybe Pan might be in the labyrinth somewhere. That, that perhaps... Uh, this <laughs> the, the reason why satyrs are have been unable to find pan for such a long time is because satyrs hate going underground and that is precisely where the labyrinth is it is growing and expanding underneath the entire sort of western civilization it doesn't fit under one city much less one building and we get the sense that maybe it expands out a lot more than that um it's just underneath the surface um it's not it's not the underworld because the underworld is way down deep uh but then at the end of this chapter, we discover it's not just right under the surface, but it's right underneath the surface of the camp itself. And it turns out there is indeed an entrance from the labyrinth to the camp, or from the camp to the labyrinth, depending on which side you're on. And Luke could indeed, if he's able to navigate this place, he could indeed figure out how to invade camp via this route. So, there you go. There you have it. Kerfo says, So, can we vote on a tattoo for you? 
We get another hype train going and Sam gets a tattoo of our choice. I'll tell you what. Oh, that's... No, I can't say that. I was going to say, like, uh, I'll make it a Patreon goal, but no. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't do that. Like, certainly not on a whim. Oh, I'll think about it for a little while. Certainly not on a whim. We can we can talk about that sort of thing. And it's also going to be like, it would be the sort of thing where I would select a number of things and make... No, you know what? No, it's it's it would be too... I'm I'm a streamer, but I'm not that kind of streamer, I don't think. Unfortunately for some of y'all. <laughs> I don't think I'm that kind of guy. I don't think I, I I would I don't think I'm comfortable like handing up that kind of agency for that sort of thing. I also think it kinda of sets kinda of like a bad precedent. I don't know. I, I can't I can't really harsh the people who do that sort of thing, but like it would feel very weird to me to be like, hey, like the ways in which I permanently mark my body and like <laughs> And and decide my own self-image is going to be based on, like, an amount of money that heads my way? I don't know. That feels very weird to me. <laughs> yeah, that's serious business. I thought about it for a second because I was like, for, for just a moment, I was like, yeah, that seems like a streamer thing to do. Um, but then I was like, that's, that, ain't, that ain't me. <laughs> I know, Kerfos. You said, like, you said hype train. I, I, knew, I knew you were goofing about it, but I did think about it for a second because, like I said, I, I saw it on there. Like, I saw it. It looked like I had a hand tattoo, and I was like, that's... That's cool. It looked pretty cool. But, yeah, I would absolutely have to figure out, like, where, <laughs> what kind of tattoo I'm going to get. And that would have to be just basically all me. Eh. What you going to do? What you going to do? Okay. Now, y'all, I think uh, we've had our review. Uh, let's jump back in, huh? Let's do it. Make sure I got my, got my stuff all put together here. Okay, cool. Here we go. Chapter 4 Annabeth Breaks the Rules. Kyron had insisted we talk about it in the morning, which was kind of like, Hey, your life's in mortal danger. Sleep tight! It was hard to fall asleep. But when I finally did, I dreamed of a prison. I saw a guy in a Greek tunic and sandals crouching alone in a massive stone room. The ceiling was open to the night sky, but the walls were twenty feet high and polished marble, completely smooth. Scattered around the room were wooden crates. Some were cracked and tipped over, as if they'd been flung in there. Bronze tools spilled out of one, a compass, a saw, a bunch of other things I didn't recognize. The boy huddled in the corner, shivering from the cold. Or maybe fear. He was splattered with mud. His legs, arms, and face were scraped as if he'd been dragged here along with the boxes. Then the double oak doors moaned open. Two guards in bronze armor marched in, holding an old man between them. They flung him to the floor in a battered heap. Father! The boy ran to him. The man's robes were in tatters. His hair was streaked with gray, and his beard was long and curly. His nose had been broken. His lips were bloody. The boy took the old man's head in his arms. What did they do to you? 
Then he yelled at the guards. I'll kill you! There will be no killing today, a voice said. The guards moved aside. Behind them stood a tall man in white robes. He wore a thin circlet of gold on his head. His beard was pointed like a spear blade. His eyes glittered cruelly. You helped them. You helped the Athenian kill my Minotaur, Daedalus. You turned my own daughter against me. You did that yourself, your majesty, the old man croaked. A guard planted a kick in the old man's ribs. He groaned in agony. The young boy cried, Stop! You love your maze so much, the king said. I've decided to let you stay here. This will be your workshop. Make me new wonders. Amuse me. Every maze needs a monster. You will be mine. I... I don't fear you, the old man groaned. The king smiled coldly. The king smiled coldly. He locked his eyes on the boy. But a man cares about his son, eh? Displease me, old man, and the next time my guards inflict a punishment, it will be on him. The king swept out of the room with his guards, and the doors slammed shut, leaving the boy and his father alone in the darkness. What will we do? The boy moaned. Father, they will kill you. The old man swallowed with difficulty. He tried to smile, but it was a gruesome sight with his bloody mouth. Hey, Cart, my son. He gazed up at the stars. I, I will find a way. <gasps> a bar lowered across the doors with a fatal boom. And I awoke in a cold sweat. I was still feeling shaky the next morning when Chiron called the War Council. We met in the Sword Arena, which I thought was pretty strange, trying to discuss the fate of a trying to discuss the fate of the camp while Mrs. O'Leary chewed on a life-size squeaky pink rubber yak. Chiron and Kintus stood by the front weapon racks. Oh boy. Sorry, I just I, I it blew me away that I was able to get through life-size squeaky pink rubber yak without messing it up once. And then I went ahead and messed up the very next sentence. Chiron and Kintus stood by the front weapon racks. Clarice and Annabeth sat next to each other and led the briefing. Tyson and Grover sat as far away from each other as possible. Also present around the table, Juniper the Tree Nymph, Selena Beauregard, Travis and Connor Stoll, Beckendorf, Lee Fletcher, even Argus, our hundred-eyed security chief. 
That's how I knew it was serious. Argus hardly ever shows up unless something really major is going on. The whole time Annabeth spoke, he kept his hundred blue eyes trained on her so hard, his whole body turned bloodshot. Luke must have known about the labyrinth entrance, Annabeth said. He knew everything about the camp. I thought I heard a little pride in her voice, like she still respected the guy, evil as he was. Juniper cleared her throat. That's what I was trying to tell you last night. The cave entrance has been there for a long time. Luke used to use it. Selena Beauregard frowned. You know about the labyrinth entrance and you didn't say anything. Juniper's face turned green. I didn't know it was important. Just a cave. I don't like yucky old caves. She's got good taste, Grover said. I wouldn't have paid any attention except... Well, it was Luke. She blushed a little greener. Grover huffed. Forget what I said about good taste. Interesting. Quintus polished his sword as he spoke. And you believe that this young man, Luke, would dare to use the labyrinth as an invasion route? Definitely, Clarice said. If he could get an army of monsters inside Camp Half-Blood just to pop up in the middle of the woods without having to worry about our magical boundaries, we wouldn't stand a chance. He could wipe us out easy. He must have been planning this for months. He's been sending scouts into the maze, Annabeth said. We know this because we found one. Chris Rodriguez, Chiron said. He gave Kintus a meaningful look. Ah, Kintus said. The one in the... Uh, yes, I understand. The one in the what? I asked. Clarice glared at me. The point is, Luke has been looking for a way to navigate the maze. He's searching for Daedalus's workshop. I remembered my dream the night before. The bloody old man in tattered robes. The guy who created the maze. Yes, Annabeth said. The greatest architect. The greatest inventor of all time. If the legends are true, his workshop is in the center of the labyrinth. He's the only one who knew how to navigate the maze directly. If Luke managed to find the workshop and convince Daedalus to help him, Luke wouldn't have to fumble through looking for paths or risk losing his army in the maze's traps. He could navigate anywhere he wanted, quickly and safely. First at Camp Half-Blood to wipe us out, then to Olympus. The arena was silent except for Mrs. O'Leary's toy yak getting disemboweled. <coughs> Finally, Beckendorf put his huge hands on the table. Back up a second. Annabeth, you said convened Daedalus. Isn't Daedalus dead? Quintus grunted. I would hope so. He lived, what, 3,000 years ago, and even if he were alive... Don't the old stories say that he fled from the labyrinth? Chiron clapped restlessly on his hooves. That is the problem, my dear Quintus. No one knows. There are rumors. Well, there are many disturbing rumors about Daedalus, but one is that he disappeared back into the labyrinth before the end of his life. He may still be there. 
I thought about the old man I'd seen in my dreams. He'd looked so frail. It was hard to believe he'd lasted another week, much less 3,000 years. We need to go in, Annabeth announced. We have to find the workshop before Luke does. If Daedalus is alive, we'll convince him to help us, not Luke. If Ariadne's string still exists, we make sure it never falls into Luke's hands. Wait a second, I said. If you're worried about an attack, why not just blow up the entrance, seal the tunnel? Great idea, Grover said. I'll get the dynamite. It's not so easy, stupid, Clarice growled. We tried that at the entrance we found in Phoenix. It didn't go so well. Annabeth nodded. The labyrinth is magical architecture, Percy. It would take huge power to seal even one of the entrances. In Phoenix, Clarice demolished a whole building with a wrecking ball, and the maze entrance just shifted a few feet. The best we can do is prevent Luke from learning to navigate the maze. We could fight, Lee Fletcher said. We know where the entrance is now. We can set up a defensive line and wait for them. If an army tries to come through, they'll find us waiting with our bows. We'll certainly set up defenses, Chiron agreed. But I fear Clarice is right. The magical borders have kept this camp safe for hundreds of years. If Luke manages to get a large army of monsters into the center of the camp, bypassing our boundaries... We may not have the strength to defeat them. Nobody looked real happy about that news. Chiron usually tried to be upbeat and optimistic. If he was predicting we couldn't hold off an attack, that wasn't good. We'd have to get to Daedalus's workshop first. We have to get to Daedalus's workshop first, Annabeth insisted. Find Ariadne's string and prevent Luke from using it. But if nobody can navigate there, I said, what chance do we have? I've been studying architecture for years, she said. I know Daedalus's labyrinth better than anybody. From reading about it? Well, yes. That's not enough. It has to be. It isn't. Are you going to help me or not? I realized everyone was watching Annabeth and me like a tennis match. Mrs. O'Leary's squeaky yak went, and she ripped off its pink rubber head. Chiron cleared his throat. <coughs> first things first, we need a quest. Someone must enter the labyrinth, find the workshop of Daedalus, and prevent Luke from using the maze to invade this camp. We all know who should lead this, Clarice said. Annabeth. There was a murmur of agreement. I knew Annabeth had been waiting for her own questions. She was a little kid, but she looked uncomfortable. You've done as much as I have, Clarice, she said. You should go too. Clarice shook her head. I'm not going back in there. Travis Stoll laughed. <laughs> Don't tell me you're scared. Clarice, chicken. Clarice got to her feet. I thought she was going to pulverize Travis, but she said in a shaky voice, You don't understand anything, punk. I'm never going back in there again. Never. 
and she stormed out of the arena. Travis looked around sheepishly. I didn't mean to... Chiron raised his hand. The poor girl has had a difficult year. Now do we all have agreement that Annabeth should lead this quest? We all nodded, except Kintus. He folded his arms and stared at the table, but I wasn't sure anyone else noticed. Very well, Chiron turned to Annabeth. My dear, it's your time to visit the Oracle. Assuming you return to us in one piece, we shall discuss what to do next. Waiting for Annabeth was harder than visiting the Oracle myself. I'd heard it speak prophecies twice before. The first time had been in the dusty attic of the big house, where the spirit of Delphi slept inside the body of a mummified hippie lady. The second time, the Oracle had come out for a little stroll in the woods. I still had nightmares about that. I'd never felt threatened by the Oracle's presence, but I'd heard stories campers who had gone insane or seen visions so real they died of fear. I paced the arena, waiting. Mrs. O'Leary ate her lunch, which consisted of a hundred pounds of ground beef and several dog biscuits the size of trash can lids. I wondered where Kintus got dog biscuits that size. I didn't figure you could just walk into Pet Zone and put those things in your shopping cart. Chiron was in deep conversation with Kintus and Argus looked to me like they were disagreeing about something. Kintus kept shaking his head. On the other side of the arena, Tyson and the Stoll brothers were racing miniature bronze chariots that Tyson had made out of armor scraps. I gave up on pacing and left the arena. I stared across the fields at the big house's attic window, dark and still. What was taking Annabeth so long? I was pretty sure it hadn't taken me this long to get my quest. Percy? The girl whispered. Juniper was standing in the bushes. It was weird how she almost turned invisible when she was surrounded by plants. She gestured me over urgently. I needed to know. Luke wasn't the only one I saw around that cave. What do you mean? She glanced back at the arena. I was trying to say something, but he was right there. Oh, the swordmaster, she said. He was poking around the rocks. My stomach clenched. Kintus? When? I don't know. I don't pay attention to time. Maybe a week ago, when he first showed up. What was he doing? Did, did he go in? I, I'm not sure. It's creepy, Percy. I didn't even see him come into the glade. Suddenly he was just there. You'll have to tell Grover it's too dangerous. Juniper? Grover called from inside the arena. Where did you go? Juniper sighed. I better go in. Just remember what I said. Don't trust that man. She ran into the arena. I stared at the big house, feeling more uneasy than ever. If Kintus was up to something, I needed Annabeth's advice. She might know what to make of Juniper's news. But where the heck was she? Whatever was happening with the Oracle, it shouldn't be taking this long. 
finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. It was against the rules, but then again, nobody was watching. I ran down the hill and headed across the fields. The front parlor of the big house was strangely quiet. I was used to seeing Dionysus by the fireplace, playing cards and eating grapes and griping at satyrs, but Mr. D was still away. I walked down the hallway, floorboards creaking under my feet. When I got to the base of the stairs, I hesitated. Four floors above would be a little trapdoor leading to the attic. Annabeth would be up there somewhere. I stood quietly and listened. But what I heard wasn't what I had expected. Sobbing. And it was coming from below me. I crept around the back of the stairs. The basement door was wide open. I didn't even know the big house had a basement. I peered inside and saw two figures in the far corner, sitting amid a bunch of stockpiled cases of ambrosia and strawberry preserves. One was Clarice. The other was a teenage Hispanic guy in tattered camouflage pants and a dirty black t-shirt. His hair was greasy and matted. He was hugging his shoulders and sobbing. It was Chris Rodriguez, the half-blood who had gone to work for Luke. It's okay, Clarice was telling him. Try just a little more nectar. You're an illusion, Mary! Chris backed farther into the corner. Get, get away! My name's not Mary. Clarice's voice was gentle, but really sad. I never knew Clarice could sound that way. My name is Clarice. Remember. Please. It's dark! Chris yelled. So dark! Come outside, Clarice coaxed. The sunlight will help you. A thousand skulls! The earth keeps healing him! Chris, Clarice pleaded. It sounded like she was close to tears. You have to get better. Please. Mr. D will be back soon. He's an expert on madness. Just, just hang on. Chris's eyes were like a cornered rat. Wild and desperate. There's no way out. Mary! No way out! Then he caught a glimpse of me and made a strangled, terrified sound. The son of Poseidon! He's horrible! I backed away, hoping Clarice hadn't seen me. I listened for her to come charging out and yell at me, but instead she just kept talking to Chris in a sad, pleading voice, trying to get him to drink the nectar. Maybe she thought it was part of Chris's hallucination, but... Son of Poseidon? Chris had been looking at me, and yet, why did I get the feeling he hadn't been talking about me at all? And Clarice's tenderness, it never even occurred to me she might like someone. But the way she said Chris's name... She had known him before he'd changed sides. She'd known him a lot better than I realized 
And now he was shivering in a dark basement, afraid to come out and mumbling about someone named Mary. No wonder Clarice didn't want to do anything with the labyrinth. What had happened to Chris in there? I heard a creak from above, like the attic door opening, and I ran for the front door. I needed to get out of that house. My dear, Chiron said, you made it. Annabeth looked at me first. I couldn't tell if she was trying to warn me, or if the look in her eyes was just plain fear. Then she focused on Kintus. I got the prophecy. I will lead the quest to find Daedalus's workshop. Nobody cheered. I mean, we all liked Annabeth. We wanted to have... I mean, we all liked Annabeth, and we wanted her to have a quest, but this one seemed insanely dangerous. After what I'd seen of Chris Rodriguez, I didn't even want to think about Annabeth descending into that weird maze again. Chiron scraped a hoof on the dirt floor. What did the prophecy say? Exactly, my dear. The wording is important. Annabeth took a deep breath. I... Uh, well, it said, you shall delve in the darkness of the endless maze. We waited. The dead, the traitor, and the lost one raise. Grover perked up. The lost one? That must mean Pan, that's great! Uh, yeah, with the dead and the traitor, I added. Not so great. And? Chiron asked. What is the rest? You shall rise or fall by the Ghost King's hand, Annabeth said, the child of Athena's final stand. Everybody looked around uncomfortably. Annabeth was a daughter of Athena, and a final stand didn't sound too good. Hey, we shouldn't jump to conclusions, Selena said. Annabeth isn't the only child of Athena, right? But who is the Ghost King? Beckendorf asked. No one answered. I thought about the Iris message I'd seen of Nico summoning spirits. I had a bad feeling the prophecy was connected to that. Are there more lines? Chiron asked. The prophecy does not sound complete. Annabeth hesitated. I don't remember exactly. Chiron raised an eyebrow. Annabeth was known for her memory. She never forgot something she heard. Annabeth shifted on her bench. Something about destroy with a hero's final breath. And? Chiron asked. She stood. Look, the point is, I have to go in. I'll find the workshop and stop Luke. And I need help. She turned to me. Will you come? I didn't even hesitate. I'm in. She smiled for the first time in days, and that made it all worthwhile. Grover, you too? The wild god is waiting. Grover seemed to forget how much he hated the underground. 
the line about the lost one had completely energized him. I'll pack the extra recyclables for snacks. And Tyson, Annabeth said, I'll need you too. <laughs> Yay. Mm. Blow things up time. Hmm. <laughs> Tyson clapped so hard he woke up Mrs. O'Leary, who was dozing in the corner. Wait, Annabeth, Chiron said. This goes against the ancient laws. A hero is allowed only two companions. I need them all, she insisted. Chiron, this is important. I didn't know why she was so certain, but I was happy she'd included Tyson. I couldn't imagine leaving him behind. He was huge and strong and great at figuring out mechanical things. Unlike satyrs, Cyclopes had no problem underground. Annabeth? Chiron flicked his tail nervously. Consider well. You would be breaking the ancient laws, and there are always consequences. Last winter, five went on a quest to save Artemis. Only three came back. Think on that. Three is a sacred number. There are three fates, three furies, three Olympian sons of Kronos. It is a good, strong number that stands against many dangers. Four. This is risky. Annabeth took a deep breath. I know, but we have to. Please. I could tell Chiron didn't like it. Kintus was studying us like he'd been trying to decide which of us would come back alive. Chiron sighed. <sighs> Very well. Let us adjourn. The members of the quest must prepare themselves. Tomorrow at dawn, we send you into the labyrinth. Kintus pulled me aside as the council was breaking up. I have got a bad feeling about this, he told me. Mrs. O'Leary came over, wagging her tail happily. She dropped her shield at my feet and I threw it for her. Kintus watched her romp after it. I remembered what Juniper had said about him scouting out the maze. I didn't trust him, but when he looked at me, I saw real concern in his eyes. I don't like the idea of you going down there, he said. Any of you. But if you must, I want you to remember something. The labyrinth exists to fool you. It will distract you. That's dangerous for half-bloods. We are easily distracted. You've been in there. Long ago. His voice was ragged. I barely escaped with my life. Most who enter are not that lucky. He gripped my shoulder. Percy, keep your mind on what matters most. If you can do that, you might find a way out. And here, I wanted to give you something. He handed me a little silver tube. It was so cold I almost dropped it. A whistle? I asked. A dog whistle, Quintus said. For Mrs. O'Leary. I uh, thanks, but... How will it work in the maze? I am not a hundred percent certain that it will, but Mrs. O'Leary is a hellhound. She can appear when she is called, no matter how far away she is. I would feel better knowing that you had this. 
If you really need help, use it, but be careful. This whistle is made of Stygian ice. What ice? From the river Styx. Very hard to craft, very delicate. It cannot melt, but it will shatter when you blow it. So you can only use it once. I thought about Luke, my old enemy. Right before I'd gone on my first quest, Luke had given me a gift too. Magic shoes that had been designed to drag me to my death. Kintus seemed nice. So concerned. And Mrs. O'Leary liked him, which had to count for something. She dropped the slimy shield at my feet and barked excitedly. I felt ashamed that I could even think about mistrusting Kintus. But then again, I'd trusted Luke once. Thanks, I told Kintus. I slipped the freezing whistle into my pocket, promising myself that I would never use it. And then I dashed off to find Annabeth. As long as I'd been at camp, I'd never been inside the Athena cabin. It was a silvery building. Nothing fancy, with plain white curtains and a carved stone owl over the doorway. The owl's onyx eyes seemed to follow me as I walked closer. Hello? I called inside. Nobody answered. I stepped in and caught my breath. The place was a workshop for Brainiac kids. The bunks were all pushed together. The bunks were all pushed against one wall as if sleeping didn't matter very much. Most of the room was filled with workbenches and tables and sets of tools and weapons. The back of the room was a huge library crammed with old scrolls and leather-bound books and paperbacks. There was an architect's drafting table, and a bunch of rulers and protractors, and some 3D-printed models of buildings. Huge old war maps were plastered to the ceiling. Sets of armor hung over the windows, their bronze plates glinting in the sun. Annabeth stood in the back of the room, rifling through old scrolls. Knock, knock, I said. She turned with a start. Oh, I didn't hear you. You okay? She frowned at the scroll in her hands. Just trying to do some research. Daedalus's labyrinth is so huge. None of the stories agree about anything. The maps just lead from nowhere to nowhere. I thought about what Kintus had said, how the maze tries to distract you. I wondered if Annabeth knew that already. We'll figure it out, I promised. Her hair had come loose and was hanging in a tangled blonde curtain all around her face. Her gray eyes looked almost black. I've wanted a quest since I was seven, she said. You're going to do awesome. She looked at me gratefully, but then stared down at all the books and scrolls she'd pulled from the shelves. I'm worried, Percy. Maybe I shouldn't have asked you to do this. Or Tyson, or Grover. Hey, we're your friends. We wouldn't miss it. But... She stopped herself. What is it? I asked. The prophecy? I'm sure it's fine, she said in a small voice. What was the last line? 
And then she did something that really surprised me. She blinked back tears and put out her arms. I stepped forward and hugged her. Butterflies started turning my stomach into a mosh pit. Hey, hey, it's, it's okay. I patted her on the back. I was aware of everything in the room. I felt like I could read the tiniest print on any book of the shelves. Annabeth's hair smelled like lemon soap. She was shivering. Chiron might be right, she muttered. I'm breaking the rules, but I don't know what else to do. I need you three. It just feels right. Well, then don't worry about it. I managed. We've had plenty of problems before, and we solved them. This is different. I don't want anything to happen to you. Any of you. <clears throat> Behind me, somebody cleared his throat. It was one of Annabeth's half-brothers, Malcolm. His face was bright red. Uh, sorry, he said. Archery practice, he starts in, Annabeth. Chiron said to come find you. I stepped away from Annabeth. We were just looking at maps, I said stupidly. Malcolm stared at me. Okay. Tell Chiron I'll be right there, Annabeth said, and Malcolm left in a hurry. Annabeth rubbed her eyes. Go ahead, Percy. I'd better get ready for archery. I nodded, feeling more confused than I ever had in my life. I wanted to run from the cabin, but then again, I didn't. Annabeth, I said, about your prophecy, the line about a hero's last breath. You're wondering which hero? I don't know. No, something else. I was thinking the last line usually rhymes with the one before it. Was there something about... Did the last word... Did it end in the word death? Annabeth stared down at her scrolls. You better go, Percy. Get ready for the quest. I'll... I'll see you in the morning. I left her there, staring at maps that led from nowhere to nowhere. But I couldn't shake the feeling that one of us wasn't going to come back from this quest alive. And there you have it, folks. The end of our second of three chapters for the evening. Get that AC back on. Ooh, baby. Ooh, buddy. Ooh, baby. Okay. It's getting hot in here, so turn on your AC. I am getting so hot, I'm going to talk about Percy Jackson. So, I'm sorry. I, I The only thing I can possibly do about what I just did is apologize. <laughs> Y'all... I'm going to take a quick five-minute break, but I'm not going to do that for just a second. Uh, first of all, Rollit says, I'm so curious what the last verse is. It's killing me. 
Percy Jackson is correct. Usually the last line rhymes with whatever came before it. Uh, they typically are in, I believe it's called rhyming couplets. Um, and the, the, the prophecy is going to be something uh, that is going to have a huge impact on all of them, obviously. And if the second to last line is about a hero's last breath, I would say it's a fairly reasonable bet that the final line is something about death. That's Percy's guess, and I think that's a pretty reasonable guess that he's offered up there. But for whatever reason, Annabeth is not sharing. Now, we talked a lot on Tuesday. Um, Tuesday is our vintage sidecar day where we shed some light on classic lit. Basically, we have conversations like this, but in more depth. Uh, right now, we're talking about um, Murder on the Orient Express, and we talked about rules and rule breakers, or patterns and pattern breakers. Ultimately, we sort of came to this uh, idea. It was a sort of a it's, a, it's a way that Sam, that I look at the world, um, that I have sort of used to try and process how people behave. And in my head, people kind of have rules, and then they have points where they break those rules. And I would say, we talked a little bit about how rule breaking typically doesn't come from the fact that something has just caused them to break their rules and they've totally deviated. It's usually a much more deep-seated rule somewhere underneath that has caused them to break one of their rules. It's their other rule sort of coming up. And one of Percy's rules here is um, to sort of like, uh, to, to save his friends. You know, we talked about it. it's a kind of a, uh, possibly a flaw of his. But one of Annabeth's rules is generally that she is pretty open about her strategies. So what other rule, what other, what other instinct in her is causing her to change her mind and keep this prophecy locked away, knowing that tomorrow morning they are going to descend into the labyrinth? I want y'all to think about that. I also want to thank you all very much. Uh, Memnite, I saw you in there getting things kicked off, and Kerfo saying... Chucking a grenade in there. Oh, dang. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So I will be taking a moment then, I see, before my before my break goes on. We have got a hype train well underway. Um, but <laughs> Memnite, Memnite, it seems, is a little tired getting, uh, getting, <laughs> getting like, uh, getting, uh, not, not like shown up, but like having people like clap back at him. Memnite's like, no, not this week. <laughs> Memnite, thank you a ton. Kerfos with a thousand bits. Y'all, I appreciate you greatly. And then Dahlia gets in here and starts the hype train with another with another gift sub. Kerfos, I see you in there. And then Memnite says 20 gift subs, which might be, I think that might be the biggest single gift sub of any of anyone at any time. So uh, y'all, thank you so very much for joining me here today. Welcome to the hype train. Uh, as y'all may know, uh, I will be doing some side karaoke. Uh, I'm, I've got a whole stream dedicated to it that will probably be either. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it. We're gonna do it next Friday, okay? I think that's what makes the most sense. I was having a hard time seeing if people were able to really go in and find the vote appropriately, so I do apologize if that was true of folks. But um, the Fridays were pretty even keeled, so we're gonna do it next Friday. It's going to be a full-on side karaoke stream. We'll be doing that then. Um, uh, so just keep that in mind. Uh, that is, that's a lot. Uh, but I think tonight, 
yeah, Dahlia says ten and a half songs now. Hit three hundred percent. That's an even eleven songs. I'm gonna. I I gotta. I gotta pull back from this. I think. I think we've hit the. Uh, <laughs> I think we've hit the like. The 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 half steps. Those I think are gonna kill me. I gotta pull it back. We gotta do it in full increments now. So uh, you're absolutely at at least one side karaoke for tonight. If you push that up to four hundred percent of level five, I'll do another one tonight. You'll get two out of me just tonight. Okay, and then we're gonna and then we're gonna do a whole stream dedicated to it next Friday. So uh, never you fear, because that will be coming as well. But uh, y'all, thank you a ton. Uh, Kerfos with three hundred. Uh, Jade, thank you so much for this community sub. Uh, and then Memnite with uh, I saw your two thousand bits in there as well. Y'all, y'all. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Memnite. You're, you keep being uh, like variously generous, and so it, it it's trying to like give you the proper tags for that, but. Y'all, thank you so very, very much. I appreciate it a ton, and I think these uh, these alerts are just going to keep rolling in. So, uh, y'all, thanks a bunch. As I said, you've got one side karaoke coming at you later tonight, and then, yeah, if you hit 400% of level 5, I'll do another one. I'll do another one. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> oh, man. Man, that has decided that bell's going to be ringing, like, for the rest of the evening. And, uh, Eskar, love it. I see you as well. Oh, baby. Y'all, I mean... <laughs> this is approaching 600%. I'll do three. I'll do three. You're right there. You're right there close to 600%. I will do three. You're 2% you're two away. There we go. Okay, I, I figured it was going to happen, but I, was, I, gotta, I gotta stick by it. I gotta stick by it, so... <laughs> You, you maniacs, as usual. Y'all, it, it, doesn't it feel great to be, like, back on a normal schedule? I, I feel great about it. I feel good that we're back on Percy Jackson and just Percy Jackson and we're not bouncing all over the place. Orly Rose, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Kerfos, I see you in there, of course. Um, uh, and yet again, another one from Kerfos. Uh, the... <laughs> This thing's just gonna keep ringing about those gift subs, I think, like, well through my break, because that's, I think, 40 now at this point, uh, just from Memnite Tonight, which is absolutely the single night, single person record. Not even close, I don't think. I might have to, I might have to find out, but I'm pretty, pretty confident about that. <laughs> I'm pretty confident. And with five seconds left, y'all, thank you a ton. Thank you a ton. And now it's giving me, so for whatever reason, it gives me, it just gave me Hype Train Level 2 emote. And I don't know why. I think y'all are, like, totally stressing out the Hype Train system. It doesn't even know what to do with all that. So, y'all, thank you a bunch. Thank you for this Hype Train. Like, y'all, you're you're incredibly generous, and I want to say thank you so very much. Uh, this is, it's fantastic. I love y'all, and uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoy uh, the songs I will be singing later tonight. Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to run through those pretty quick because that's. I mean, that's three in one night. I'm not sure what to do about that. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Okay, I gotta go take a break, and then I'm gonna come back, and we're gonna read another chapter, and then we're gonna do some side karaoke. So I will see you all in just a bit. Goodbye. I'll miss you the whole time. Quick five-minute break. Uh, you will see. You will see the timer up on screen. But I want to say thank you very, very much, Orly Rose. Thank you a ton, uh, Kerfos for getting things kind of kicked off. Dahlia for getting the hype train started. Uh, Memnite for just massive amounts of uh, contribution to the channel. Thank you so much. 
<laughs> catching up, says Memnite. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, yeah, Memnite was out for a little bit, and I want to be very, very, very clear, y'all. I miss Memnite for Memnite, and I miss the rest of you for the rest of you. So if you if you head over to Patreon at some point, and you have to stop doing Patreon at some point, that's okay. I I am more than happy just to have you back here hanging out. My my like my appreciation for you folks is not tied to this, but of course I do appreciate all of the generosity. Thank you so very much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Memnite, Dahlia, Kerfos. Um, uh, let's see, Eskar Lovett, Jade Dragon, and Orly Rose, y'all killed it, and y'all killed it really quickly, that was like, that felt like a, a flash hype train, alright, alright folks, I'll see you in five, you'll see the timer on screen, adios, Bye 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 you loonies. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. That wasn't even Snape. I don't know who that was. Hello, how do you do? It's very nice to see you all. <laughs> That's like a... What is that, what is that character? I've never seen the show. Uh, I think it's called like Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Is that Meatball? I, like, like I said, never seen the show, but I've heard that voice before. Something like this. I think he's got like a... He's got like a, a southern drawl to it as well. Hi, gang! Welcome back. How y'all doing? You maniacs. <laughs> you blew it up. You maniacs. The uh, the hype train has been marauded once again by you runk puffians. Uh, I believe what do we what do we we need like a little Do you know what would be great is if there was like a little animation of just like the train chugging down the track and then all of you banditos uh, coming in here. Banditos, banditas, uh, etc. Um, heading in here. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> is that what it is, Orly Rose? I gotcha. I see. Thank you. Um, but we need this. I just want to see, like, the train itself with all of you coming in. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, 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 pew. That's what I want to see. Um, am I ever going to get to see that? Probably not. Probably not. Um, but hey, yeah, if any of y'all, uh, if any of you goons in chat uh, are feeling uh, particularly animated... It, look, if we've got any animators up in the mix, I really, really would love to know. Y'all, we got some stuff to do later, so I'm gonna go ahead and get back into this pretty quickly. Um, let me see. Dolly says, be right back, gotta grab my circular saw, chop up some support studs for this project. Okay, so you're doing, like, you're doing some big stuff in there. I mean, a laptop mount, yeah, you gotta take that pretty seriously, I imagine, because it's not terribly heavy, but it's one of those things where it's like, you really can't let this thing fail on you. No no fail state is going to be acceptable. <laughs> so, uh, I hope it works out well. I'll be curious to see if pictures are in order. I would love to see those over in the creativity channel, Dahlia. Um, because I think that would be very interesting to see. I'm, I really love anybody who does like workshop projects uh, and anything like that. Because that's sort of where my artistic talent mostly hangs out. Um, and some of it is like artistic, some of it is technical, I know, but, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a very, like, physical, I'm a very physical person. That wasn't sort of where I intended to head with this sentence, but this is where that particular rescue plane landed. And now we just gotta get aboard and hope it's gonna fly us back home. I hope, let's do review. Uh, we talked a, a decent bit about the, um, uh, about... 
Annabeth, right? I want I want to hear what y'all are thinking, by the way. Why would Annabeth not be sharing about this? And then, of course, y'all started up the hype train. And, uh, well, chug chug, you sons of guns. Um, but, uh, quick review of our previous two chapters. We read two today, we're going to read one more, and then we've got three side karaoke later, so I hope my voice doesn't give out. Chapters 3 and 4, we play tag with scorpions. In this chapter, Percy discovers the true nature of the quest that's going to be undertaken for this book. Turns out, the labyrinth, which there may be a Pan's Labyrinth goof in there somewhere, I don't know, but two big things going on. Luke is looking for a way to invade camp, and he's been exploring this territory. Uh, and also, there's a possibility that Pan is down there. Where's down there? It's the labyrinth. Daedalus's labyrinth underneath... It seems like maybe the entirety of the United States, because it reaches at least from Phoenix to New York City, so it's a lot. It's right underneath the surface, and there is, as we discover toward the end of our uh, the reading that we've done so far, um, there is an entrance directly into camp. Annabeth is nominated to lead the quest in here because they must prevent Luke from being able to lead an army into camp here. That is the... I mean, that that is going to be vitally important. Percy doesn't agree that they are ready, but he agrees at the very least it's probably necessary. Uh, and so, Annabeth says she's going to bring not two people, as is sort of dictated by that by that big, this the sacred number three, that kind of thing, um, and Chiron's not terribly happy about this. Instead of two people to go with, she wants three. Clarice, who had done some scouting on this prior, has refused to do anything more in the labyrinth. She simply refuses to. And we can see why when uh, we find that she didn't just know Chris Rodriguez, uh, this camper who had gone off to join Luke's side and then they found him somewhere near Phoenix, Arizona, uh, and he had gone completely mad, uh, probably from spending time inside the labyrinth. We see a really tender moment between her and Chris, who doesn't remember who she is at all, but... We get kind of a look at Clarice we've never gotten before. Um, but Annabeth, so she's not taking Clarice, even though Clarice has had some experience here. Uh, she is bringing Percy, Grover, and Tyson. And Percy agrees that they are all going to be very valuable on this quest. Um, he's pretty worried about Grover, um, but it seems like it's time to go. And as Annabeth... She has to get this quest formally from the Oracle, um, or I, sh I should say she needs to get a prophecy from the Oracle now that she's officially going on this quest, uh, and so off they go. Uh, Annabeth has got the prophecy, and let me see if I can read you just really quickly. This will be the last bit of, uh, last bit of review. Let me see if I can find the proper, the, the lines here. I'm just going to add them together. You shall delve in the darkness of the endless maze, the dead, the traitor, and the lost one raise. You shall rise or fall by the ghost king's hand, the child of Athena's final stand. And then something about destroy with a hero's final breath. And then Annabeth has not told anyone, including Percy, what that final line is, but Percy guesses it might end in the word death. She doesn't say, and they depart the next morning. I should say, they will be departing the next morning. There you go, folks. That's what we've got. Uh, Dahlia says, ooh, nice. 
Uh, I had a split 2x4 that was already perfect length from my lumber stock pile. Just got to cut another small piece to match. You, based on your living arrangement, Dahlia, where do you keep your wood stockpile? You just have, like, a, a slot in there? Because I know you, like, you have really optimized that space to be very, very efficient. I'm curious where you would keep, like, scrap material. <laughs> Good luck on your project, Dahlia. Everybody, let's launch in, shall we? Chapter 5. Nico Buys Happy Meals for the Dead. Well, at least I got a good night's sleep before the quest, right? Wrong. That night in my dreams, I was in the stateroom of the Princess Andromeda. The windows were open on a moonlit sea. Cold wind rustled the velvet drapes. Luke knelt on a Persian rug in front of the golden sarcophagus of Kronos. In the moonlight, Luke's blonde hair looked pure white. He wore an ancient Greek keton and a white himation, a kind of cape that flowed down his shoulders. The white clothes made him look timeless and a little surreal, like one of the minor gods on Mount Olympus. The last I'd seen him, he'd been broken and unconscious after a nasty fall from Mount Tam. Now he looked personally. Now he looked perfectly fine. Almost too healthy. Our spies report success, my lord, he said. Camp Half Blood sent in a quest, as you predicted. Our side of the bargain is almost complete. I just realized I might need to adjust some settings here. Sorry. I gotta make sure this is correct, otherwise uh, voice mod's gonna hear some nonsense. Or uh, Discord is. Okay, there we go. There we are. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Okay, there we go. Wait, what, is it, what does it do if I put it all the way up here? Nothing? Okay. Sorry, Discord, just making some adjustments. I hope that wasn't too jarring. Hopefully this will make it easier to hear some of the sound mod stuff. The voice mod stuff, excuse me. All right. The voice of Kronos didn't so much speak as pierce my mind like a dagger. It was freezing with cruelty. Once we have the means to navigate, I will lead the vanguard through myself. Luke closed his eyes as if collecting his thoughts. My lord, perhaps... Perhaps it's too soon. Perhaps Kreos or Hyperion could lead. No. 
The voice was quiet, but absolutely firm. I will lead. One more heart shall join our cause, and that will be sufficient. At last, I shall rise fully from Tartarus. But the form, my lord, Luke's voice started shaking. Show me your sword, Luke Castellan. A jolt went through me. I realized I'd never heard Luke's last name before. It had never even occurred to me. Luke drew his sword. Backbiter's double edge glowed wickedly. Half steel, half celestial bronze. I'd almost been killed several times by that sword. It was an evil weapon, able to kill both mortals and monsters. It was the only blade I really feared. You pledged yourself to me, Kronos reminded him. You took this sword as proof of your oath. Yes, my lord. It's just... You wanted power. I gave you that. You are now beyond harm. Soon you will rule the world of gods and mortals. Do you not wish to avenge yourself? To see Olympus destroyed? A shiver ran through Luke's body. Yes. The coffin glowed. The golden light filled the room. Then make ready the strike force. As soon as the bargain is done, we shall move forward. First, Camp Hathlod will be reduced to ashes. Once those bothersome heroes are eliminated, we will march on Olympus. There was a knock on the stateroom doors. The light of the coffin faded. Luke rose. He sheathed his sword, adjusted his white clothes, and took a deep breath. Come in. The doors opened. Two Dracane slithered in, snake women with double serpent trunks instead of legs. Between them walked Kelly, the Emposa cheerleader from my freshman orientation. Hello, Luke. Kelly smiled. She was wearing a red dress and she looked awesome, but I'd seen her real form. I knew what she was hiding. Mismatched legs, red eyes, fangs, and flaming hair. What is it, demon? Luke's voice was cold. I told you not to disturb me. Kelly pouted. That's not very nice, 
You look tense. How about a nice shoulder massage? Luke stepped back. If you got something to report, say it. Otherwise, leave. I don't know why you're so huffy these days. You used to be so fun to hang around. That was before I saw what you did to that boy in Seattle. Oh, he meant nothing to me, Kelly said. Just a snack, really. You know my heart belongs to you, Luke. Thanks, but no thanks. Now report or get out. Kelly shrugged. Fine. The advance team is ready, just as you... What? As you... What? 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 What's this word in here for? Fine. The advance team is ready, as you ordered. We can leave. She frowned. What is it? Luke asked. A present? Kelly said. Your senses are getting dull, Luke. We're being watched. She scanned the stateroom. Her eyes focused right on me. Her face withered into a hag's. She bared her teeth and lunged. I woke with a start, my heart pounding. I could have sworn the impulse's fangs were an inch from my throat. Tyson was still snoring in the next bunk. The sound calmed me down a little. I didn't know how Kelly could sense me in a dream, but I'd heard more than I wanted to know. An army was ready. Cronus would lead it personally. All they needed was a way to navigate the labyrinth so they could invade and destroy Camp Half-Blood. And Luke apparently thought that was going to happen very soon. I was tempted to go wake up Annabeth and tell her, middle of the night or not. Then I realized the room was lighter than it should be. A blue and green glow was coming from the saltwater fountain, brighter and more urgent than the night before. It was almost like the water was humming. I got out of bed and approached. No voice spoke to me out of the water this time, asking for a deposit. I got the feeling the fountain was waiting for me to make the first move. I probably should have gone back to bed. Instead, I thought about what I'd seen last night. The weird image of Nico at the banks of the River Styx. You're trying to tell me something, I said. No response from the fountain. All right, I said. Show me Nico D'Angelo. I didn't even throw a coin in, but this time it didn't matter. It was like some other force had taken control of the water beside Iris, the messenger goddess. The water shimmered. Nico appeared, but he was no longer in the underworld. He was standing in a graveyard under a starry sky. Giant willow trees loomed all around him. He was watching some grave diggers at work. I heard shovels and saw dirt flying out of a hole. Nico was dressed in a black cloak. The night was foggy. It was warm and humid and frogs were croaking. A large Walmart bag sat next to Nico's feet. Is it deep enough yet? Nico asked. He sounded irritated. Nearly, my lord. 
It was the same ghost I'd seen Nico with before, the faint, shimmering image of a man. But, my lord, I tell you, this is unnecessary. You already have me for advice. I want a second opinion. Nico snapped his fingers and the digging stopped. Two figures climbed out of the hole. They weren't people. They were skeletons in ragged clothes. You're dismissed, Nico said. Thank you. The skeletons collapsed into piles of bones. You might as well thank the shovels, the ghost complained. They have as much sense. Nico ignored him. He reached into his Walmart bag and pulled out a 12-pack of Coke. He popped open a can. Instead of drinking it, he poured it into the grave. Let the dead taste again, he murmured. Let them rise up and take this offering. Let them remember. He dropped the rest of the Cokes into the grave and pulled out a white paper bag decorated with cartoons. I hadn't seen one in years, but I recognized it. A McDonald's Happy Meal. He turned it upside down and shook the fries and hamburger into the grave. In my day, we used animal blood, the ghost mumbled. It's perfectly good enough. They can't taste the difference. I will treat them with respect, Nico said. At least let me keep the toy, the ghost said. Be quiet, Nico ordered. He emptied another twelve-pack of soda and three more Happy Meals into the grave, then began chanting in ancient Greek. I only caught some of the words. A lot about the dead and memories and returning from the grave. Real happy stuff. The grave started to bubble. Frothy brown liquid rose to the top like the whole thing was filling with soda. The fog thickened. The frogs stopped croaking. Dozens of figures began to appear among the gravestones. Bluish, vaguely human shapes. Nico had summoned the dead with coke and cheeseburgers. There are too many, the ghost said nervously. You don't know your own powers. I've got it under control, Nico said, even though his voice sounded fragile. He drew his sword a short blade made of solid black metal. I'd never seen anything like it. It wasn't celestial bronze or steel. Iron, maybe? The crowd of shades retreated at the sight of it. One at a time, Nico commanded. A single figure floated toward them and knelt at the pool. It made slurping sounds as it drank. Its ghostly hands scooped french fries out of the pool. When it stood again, I could see it much more clearly. A teenage guy in Greek armor. He had curly hair and green eyes, a clasp shaped like a seashell on his cloak. Who are you? Nico said. Speak. The young man frowned as if trying to remember. Then he spoke in a voice like dry, crumpling paper. 
Theseus. No way, I thought. This couldn't be THE Theseus. He was just a kid. I'd grown up hearing stories about him fighting the Minotaur and stuff, but I'd always pictured him as this huge, buff guy. The ghost I was looking at wasn't strong or tall, and he wasn't any older than I was. How can I retrieve my sister? Nico asked. Theseus's eyes were lifeless as glass. Do not try. It is madness. Just tell me. My stepfather died. Theseus remembered. He threw himself into the sea. Because he thought I was dead in the labyrinth. I wanted to bring him back. But I could not. Nico's ghost hissed. My lord, the soul exchange. Ask him about that. Theseus scowled. I know that voice! No, you don't, fool, the ghost said. Answer the Lord's questions, and nothing more. I know you, Theseus insisted, as if struggling to recall. I want to hear about my sister, Nico said. Will this quest into the labyrinth help me bring her back? Theseus was looking for the ghost, but apparently couldn't see him. Slowly, he turned his eyes back on Nico. The labyrinth is treacherous. There is only one thing that saw me through. It was the princess who guided me. We don't need any of that, the ghost said. It, I will guide you, my lord. Ask him if it's true about an exchange of souls. He will tell you. A soul for a soul. Nico asked. Is it true? I... I must say yes. But the specter... Just answer the questions, knave, the ghost said. Suddenly around the edges of the pool, the other ghosts became restless. They stirred, whispering in nervous tones. I want to see my sister, Nico demanded. Where is she? He is coming. Theseus said fearfully. He has sensed your summons because 
Who? Nico demanded. He comes to find the source of this power. Theseus said. You must release us. The water in the fountain began to tremble, humming with power. I realized the whole cabin was shaking. The noise grew louder. The image of Nico in the graveyard began to glow until it was painful to watch. Stop! I said out loud. Stop it! The fountain began to crack. Tyson murmured in his sleep and turned over. Purple light grew horrible ghastly shadows on the cabin walls as if the specters were escaping right out of the fountain. In desperation, I uncapped Riptide and slashed the fountain, cleaving it in two. Salt water spilled everywhere, and the great stone font crashed to the floor in pieces. Tyson snorted and muttered, but he kept sleeping. I sank to the ground, shimmering. I sank to the ground, shivering from what I'd seen. Tyson found me there in the morning, still staring at the shattered fountain. Still staring at the shattered remains of the saltwater fountain. Just after dawn, the quest group met at Zeus's fist. I packed my knapsack. Thermos with nectar, baggie of ambrosia, bedroll, rope, clothes, flashlight, and locks of extra batteries. I had riptide in my pocket. The magic shield-slash-wristwatch Tyson had given me was on my wrist. It was a clear morning. The fog had burned off and the sky was blue. Campers stood around the edges. The fog had burned off and the sky was light blue. Campers would be having their lessons today, flying pegasi and practicing archery and scaling the lava wall. Meanwhile, we would be heading underground. Juniper and Grover stood apart from the group. Juniper had been crying again, but she was trying to keep it together for Grover's sake. She kept fussing with her clothes. Oh, she kept fussing with his clothes, straightening his Rasta cap and brushing goat fur off of his shirt. Since we had no idea what we would encounter, he was dressed as a human, with the cap to hide his horns and jeans, fake feet, and sneakers to hide his goat legs. Chiron, Kintus, and Mrs. O'Leary stood with the other campers who had come to wish us well, but there was too much activity for it to feel like a happy send-off. A couple of been... A couple of tents had been set up by the rocks for the guard duty. Beckendorf and his siblings were working on a line of defensive spikes and trenches. Chiron had decided we needed to guard the labyrinth exit at all times, just in case. Jade, have a good night. We'll miss ya. Bye-bye. Thanks for hanging out. Annabeth was doing one last check of her supply pack. When Tyson and I came over, she frowned. Percy, you look terrible. He killed hmm, the water fountain last night. Hmm. 
Tyson confided. What? she asked. Before I could explain, Chiron trotted over. Well, it appears you're ready. He tried to sound upbeat, but I could tell he was anxious. I didn't want to freak him out anymore, but I thought about last night's dream, and before I could change my mind, I said, Hey, Chiron, can I ask you a favor while I'm gone? Of course, my boy. I'll be right back, you guys. I nodded toward the woods. Chiron raised an eyebrow, but he followed me out of earshot. Last night, I dreamed about Luke and Kronos. I told him the details. The news seemed to weigh on his shoulders. I feared this, Chiron said. Against my father, we would stand no chance in a fight. Chiron rarely called Kronos his father. I mean, we all knew it was true. Everybody in the Greek world, god, monster, or titan, was related to one another somehow. But it wasn't exactly something Chiron's... But it wasn't exactly something Chiron liked to brag about. Oh, my god is the all-powerful evil titan lord who wants to destroy western civilization. I want to be just like him when I grow up. Do you know what he meant about a bargain? I asked. I'm not sure, but I fear they seek to make a deal with Daedalus. If the old inventor is truly, if the old inventor is truly alive, if he has not been driven insane by millennia in the labyrinth, well, Kronos can find ways to twist anyone to his will. Not anyone, I promised. Chiron managed to smile. No, perhaps not anyone, but Percy, you must beware. I've worried for some time that Kronos may be looking for Daedalus for a different reason, not just passage through the maze. Well, what else would he want? Something Annabeth and I were discussing. Do you remember what you told me about your first trip to the Princess Andromeda, the time that you saw the golden coffin? I nodded. Yeah, Luke was talking about raising Kronos, little pieces of him appearing in a coffin every time somebody new joined the cause. And why did Luke say that... And what did Luke say that they would do once Kronos had risen completely? A chill went down my spine. He said they would make Kronos a new body, worthy of the forges of Hephaestus. Indeed, Chiron said. Daedalus is the world's greatest inventor. He created the labyrinth, but much more. Automatons, thinking machines. What if Cronus wishes Daedalus to make him a new form? That was a real pleasant thought. Uh, we gotta get to Daedalus first, I said, and convince him not to. Chiron stared off into the trees. Another thing I do not understand. This talk of a lost soul joining their cause, that does not bode well. I kept my mouth shut, but I felt guilty. I'd made the decision not to tell Chiron about Nico being the son of Hades. The mention of souls, though. What if Kronos knew about Nico? What if he managed to turn him evil? 
It was almost enough to make me want to tell Chiron, but I didn't. For one thing, I wasn't sure Chiron could do anything about it. I had to find Nico myself. I had to explain things to him, make him listen. I don't know, I said at last. But, uh, something Juniper said? Maybe you should hear. I told him about how the tree nymph had seen Kintus poking around the rocks. Chiron's jaw tightened. That does not surprise me. It doesn't su- You mean you know? Percy, when Kintus showed up to the camp offering his services, well, I would have been a fool not to be suspicious. Well, then why'd you let him in? Because sometimes it is better to have someone you mistrust close to you, so you can keep an eye on him. He may be just what he says, a half-blood in search of a home. Certainly he has done nothing openly that would make me question his loyalty, but believe me, I will keep an eye on... Annabeth trudged over, probably curious why we're taking so long. Percy, you ready? I nodded. My hand slipped into my pocket while I, where I kept the ice whistle Kintus had given me. I looked over and saw Kintus watching me carefully. He raised his hand in farewell. Our spies report success, Luke had said. The same day we decided to take a quest, Luke had known about it. Take care, Chiron told us, and good hunting. Yeah, you too, I said. We walked over to the rocks where Tyson and Grover were waiting. I stared at the crack between the boulders, the entrance that was about to swallow us. Well, Grover said nervously, goodbye, sunshine. Mm. Hello, rocks. Hmm, Tyson agreed, and together... The four of us descended into darkness. And there we have it, folks! The final chapter of the evening. I hope you have all enjoyed this quite as much as I have, because I have enjoyed it quite a bit. It feels really good to be back, sort of, uh, back at it fully now. It feels good to just read start to finish, to keep all the same voices intact, to, uh, to sort of hang out here and... Hold on. Hold on now. And, uh, you know, to... To... <laughs> To, to have three chapters, frankly, that went really well overall. I think so. Um, I think the... We're going to head into Bad Beans later, but I can see that Memnite is uh, pretty excited about this. So I will pop over here. Memnite, there you are. Uh, Rollet says, I think Bianca got swallowed up in the labyrinth. Now, that is an interesting thought, Rollet. Um, I'm also curious to see, like... We have, we have seen, you know, how... Uh, how sometimes books in this genre like to avoid really truly sort of committing to people being dead uh that's actually true of kind of the two genres that this series combines uh it's not just fantasy and it's not just young adult literature it is young adult fantasy and both of those tend to sort of be non-committal when it comes to deaths and i would say that of anybody like 
we 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 really did not get a clear picture of what precisely happened to Bianca. What's going on with that? I think it's a good question. I think y'all should sort of keep an eye out. But I also think we need to be uh, sort of on the lookout for uh, for illusions, for mind bending here, and I think that's sort of what I want to talk about as we as we move on. We are approaching a great opportunity to see a lot of what's happening inside different characters' heads. I think keep an eye on the people that they chose, right? Keep an eye on the people that uh, that the author chose to send on this quest, because as as we see kind of what illusions pop up to them we're going to see a lot about what's going on inside their heads what what happened where they're at mentally with this uh with their lives what things they fear potentially what things that uh they feel they made mistakes about potentially um and i think consider why the author chose grover and annabeth and percy and tyson as the the people to enter this labyrinth why not everybody why not certain other people why not Clarice why not uh why not you know bringing Chiron in himself of course there are sort of lore reasons for that but as a as an author you've got a lot of leeway so be thinking about that be thinking about why the author chose not to break any lore uh I mean we, we can already see like there are supposed to be three people going on a quest instead there are four the the author has the 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 authority to change some things up so why these four people that's what i want y'all to keep track of as we proceed on through this series um especially as we get into the labyrinth and see what that thing do so there we go all right now everybody i think it's high time uh i'm gonna be catching up with uh the beans themselves i'm gonna be doing those the same night that we do um uh, i'm gonna be doing those next friday same thing as the uh the side karaoke siru I think it's probably high time that we talk about some other stuff. Let's talk about uh, the uh, just tonight's bad beans, uh, because y'all, we've got a couple of traditions here. If you are unsure as to what is going on, just in the most general sense with all of this tonight, well, I would like to welcome you all to Flying Sidecar. That's our Thursday show. Um, this, of course, is Sidecar Stories and today is thursday meaning that this is flying sidecar um this is a voice actor's venture through some stories that we all love and if you're wondering what else we do here well we just like to celebrate stories of all kinds uh on tuesdays we have got vintage sidecar where we shed some light on classic lit currently running our way through uh murder on the orient express we are we're getting through some of the some of the testimonies of some of the other folks here on the train and it is fascinating uh, a lot of fun voices in there as well. Um, I know some folks really, really enjoyed my Samuel Ratchet voice. Although it didn't stick around nearly as long as I was hoping that it would, uh, considering it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then, of course, on Wednesdays, we have got Side Cannons, which is the RPG wing of Sidecar Stories, because I think some of the best stories being told right now are being told with a roll of the dice. I enjoy it quite a bit, and uh, right now we're doing some spot lore sessions, which is world building for the Realm of Recidus. Uh Some of y'all have taken that super, super seriously, and so you know we spent a lot of uh, a lot of yesterday talking about vampire houses, uh, not not the building, but like the big vampire estates and big vampire dynasties. Uh, six at the moment, at the current count, we may have other very small ones in there, but I think we've got the major six, the the six uh, major houses. <laughs> 
That is uh, very largely thanks to Dahlia, but those are just one of the many types of groups that exist in the world of Rosetus, and if y'all want to contribute your own groups, head on over to Discord uh, tonight, or even right now if you wish, because I am taking suggestions and lore for uh, different groups, but right now we're talking especially about um, adding on to the... Uh, adding onto the map itself, uh, and we're going to be adding things onto the wiki. We're sort of we've taken some ambiguous notes, and now we're going to move those into more concrete. Uh, yeah, sorry about that, Rose. I did do a sneeze here. I'll try to remember to cut that out later on. Uh, but that's a lot of fun. Uh, follow those links. That is Linktree slash Sidecar Stories. L i n k t r dot e e slash Sidecar Stories. Um, and you can follow that to the Discord, you can follow that to Patreon, and Patreon's gonna be the hotspot for all of our book fair happenings, which I will remind you all happens at the end of this month. We are rolling up on it, folks, uh, and uh, you've got your first big assignment, which is to send me sound bites. Those are due in exactly two weeks. If you want me to read something on stream, I don't care what it is. It can be anything from a tweet to a, uh, a, a, an epic poem. I'll ask you to keep it to around 2,000 words. If it's more than that, that doesn't mean I won't read it. It just means it might get bumped to the back of the line in case we've got other stuff to read first. But I've had people literally send me tweets and Tumblr memes, anything from that to, I think one of my favorites so far is the uh, nuclear waste warning message. Um, I think I also had the idea uh, to to check out, possibly in that same vein, um, the, like, the message to other civilizations uh, that was sent up with one of our, our uh, space probes. And then finally, uh, we got some plans to uh, to keep things, well, to, to try some things out uh, in cooperation with the Inkjets writing group. Uh, the Inkjets is the Sidecar Stories writing group, and we've had some challenges so far, but there is there's something specifically related to sound bites. Uh, so y'all, this week, if you're interested, if you're a writer, if you want to have your work heard, Maybe not in its entirety, but if you want to have any part of your work heard, I'm not joking. I will read anything y'all send me. That's what this thing is designed to be fun for. Uh, so, do it up. I want to see what y'all want me to read. Anything that you've written. Maybe it's a maybe it's a scene from a movie you really like. Maybe it's something else. But uh, head on over to the um, uh, the book fair channel. Um, and uh, if you're interested in in being one of our one of our Inkjets writers, if you want to join the writing group, you can head over to the tags channel and choose the Inkjets tag. It's down near the bottom, I believe.